What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Uh, a long week. A lot of uh, players getting released from the contracts. We're going. We're getting closer and closer to free agency. Rory, can you smell it coming? Free agency at last. Yeah, it's about time. Franchise tags just went hot uh, on Monday, so the franchise period opened up. It's actually a week earlier than it used to be uh, because free agency is actually starting a week earlier than it used to be. So thanks to heaven. And uh, the draft is also, I believe the draft also got kicked up, right? It's uh, it's back to the end of April instead of the beginning of May, I believe. So uh, luckily yeah, I believe we're not going to be tortured. As, yeah, we're not going to be as tortured as we were last year. And I think the year before when it was in early May. Yeah, a lot of big-time players getting released. Well, not big-time, but key role players. Uh, I think there's some significant talent that could really help uh, certain teams, Yeah, the wise ones that are kind of on the verge of being very good. We've had some, uh, at least one surprising retirement out of the two. Uh, the surprising one was Rasheem Mathis. Me. He was. He played well when he was healthy last year. I, just a lot of the time, been health. And I think it took a toll on his body, and he decided to call it quits. Uh, he enjoyed a nice 13-year career, I believe, in the NFL. Majority in Jacksonville. Uh and went over to the Lions. Yeah, sounds about right. For Mathis, 13 years, sounds about right. I, I want to say it was 34, 35. So, uh, Rasheed Mathis, loved him in Jacksonville. He was a phenomenal professional. I thought he was an underrated corner. Never got a lot of the uh, props he deserved. He's never going to be a Hall of Famer, but I think when we look back on this time period, and we talk about some of the really good, consistent corners of the era, he's going to be in that discussion. Um, very talented guy, you know, but he's, he's been falling apart the last couple of years, so it's good for him to move on. Um, the, I guess the surprising retirement was draw at Mayo at 29, kind of pulling up Patrick Willis. It's just, why didn't it happen a little bit sooner? I'm, I mean, his body's been beaten. Uh, two years, two years ago, a torn uh, pectoral entered his season. The year after, a torn patellar tendon. This past year, he's dealing with a shoulder injury as a part-time player. Not that he's going to start or anything. So it didn't come as a shock. It was just like, why did it wait this long? 
Yeah, I know he's got a lot of bumps and bruises, but I was a little, I was a little, I, I guess shocked by the right word, but I definitely didn't expect it to happen. I didn't, you know, I never looked at him thinking, oh, you know what, he needs to, he needs to retire. He's just falling apart. You know, I just kind of thought, you know, guy with some bad luck, but still a talented player. Well, he was going to be cut anyways, I guess, retire before you're cut. And so you get to retire with your team that you're drafted with. True. Um, he, he did have a, uh, because of his injuries, he, he was on a second contract that was a little high. Um, they gave him a nice deal. I want to say it was about five or six million a year on like a four-year contract, something like that. Um, and then they so it's not like he was necessarily, not like he was necessarily cheap, but um, I see. Yeah, I I think there would have been teams that would have been very interested in signing him for a decent chunk of change. But you know, there's some point where you have to decide as a player. You know, is it worth it to uh, you know continue beating up your body for what you love doing or? You know, do you decide to uh, move on to something else? And he made that decision. So, you know, good for him. Um, I'm sure he's going to find plenty of uh, stuff in the area to invest in. He can go the John Elway route and go own 37 car dealerships or something ridiculous. So, some news in Detroit. Um, they cut Joyce Bell, leaving them with back to center. Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick is the primary back. Are they looking for more of a power back, or are they just trying to cut ties? That's a really good question, because I don't really have a great feel for what this offense wants to be. Uh, You know, I had a discussion with a guy um, at Oakland Pro Sports, I think it was his Twitter handle, on Twitter, a guy I talk with all the time, very intelligent sports fan and uh, football guy really enjoy talking to him. And we disagree a lot on some stuff, but one thing I was mentioning, he called Drake Bell a power back. I don't really view Drake Bell as a power back as much as I think he's just a back that runs with power. And I think, for me, there's a key distinction there. Like a power back, I think, like Earl Campbell, right? And with Earl Campbell, you don't get a guy who really has any lateral movement. It's always downhill all the time. And if there's people in front of him, he just knocks them out of the way. There's not a lot of juke moves there. Joyce Bell could still move a little bit. Uh, he moves laterally pretty well. He just runs behind his head. Well, um, I don't really understand this. Sorry, I don't really understand the Detroit offense, though. Well, I'll finish my thought real quick. I don't really understand the Detroit offense. So I'm not sure where they want to go. Um, so I'm not real sure what they're thinking. But the near Abdullah, I would assume they're looking to go more shotgun spread running attack. Uh, but I can see a guy like Joyce Bell finding a home in, say, um, I would have said, I, I was kind of thinking San Francisco, but not anymore. But I could definitely see him moving to somewhere that's going to utilize a lot of two running backs. Um, a lot of two running backs, that's going to use him to spell someone. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be the main guy, but uh, maybe a Houston, something like that. Hmm. Tennessee might be a good fit. What was that? Tennessee. What about the NFC? No, I'm saying Tennessee would be a good fit for him. Oh, Tennessee. I thought you said the NFC. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of vague. <laughs> uh, yeah, te- um, yeah, because Tennessee is not going to – everyone thinks like Tennessee is going to make this radical move 
to doing a lot more spread stuff with um, Mariota there. And I think that would be foolish, and I don't think Tennessee's going to make that move. Um, it sounds a lot like they're going to continue with a very professional style offense. Um, so if they continue to incorporate a lot of under center stuff, I could totally see Tennessee working out. So who are some of the players on the Raiders uh, roster bubble going into this offseason? Uh, well, after the peculiarity that was the Nate Allen situation, in which um, so he had a roster guarantee that kicked in earlier this week or at the end of last week, something like that. Maybe it was the 10th, I think. Um, and the Raiders decided not – they decided to cut him before his salary for the 2016 became – Guaranteed, it was only like $5 million. And then they immediately turn around and re-sign him to like a $1 million base that could be, or no, like a $3 million base salary that could be worth up to $5 million. So, I mean, it was kind of a, you know, I don't know. But to me, it just seemed like completely superfluous. Um, after that, and then they didn't do anything to Lofton, the middle linebacker, who had become kind of just a space eater, um, a taxi he attacks the running game really well, but um, only if he's kind of a clean – if only if he's clean from being blocked. Uh, sorry, sorry to so cut you off. Was, Somebody's joined us. Who is this uh, from northern Illinois? Yes, sir. This is David, ready to talk to Broncos. <laughs> David, long time no talk. Well, a long time no talk indeed, but uh, let's just say I'm still on cloud nine right now. (laughs) We'll shift gears in just a little bit. Uh, We we have very little time with David. Uh, David, going through this offseason, who would you put as the top priorities on the Denver's free agent list outside of Miller? I knew you were kind of going there, outside of Von Miller. It is a toss-up between Brock Osweiler or Malik Jackson. Normal conventional wisdom would say you'd sign the better athlete, which I believe is Malik Jackson. He has the, he has the potential to be a Michael Bennett-esque player in any system. Line him up anywhere on the defensive line, he can get a nice quality pass rush from, from either spot on the defensive line. However... They say the quarterback is the queen on the chessboard. And I'm not saying what Brock Osweiler did was elite, but it was commendable. Commendable to win two games down 14 points against playoff teams, against the Patriots and the Bengals. He is the ideal quarterback for Gary Kubiak's system. And and if you let Brocko, your Super Bowl chances might decrease even more if you uh, have to sign a guy like RG3 and go to, like, Trevor Simeon to play quarterback, then if you lose Malik and you have a chance to draft a great replacement like a Robert Kevdici as people are floating around in Denver. So uh, uh, so uh, it, it, I say it's very close, but I think I think it might have to – I might have to go Brock because of the importance of the QB position. But it's very close. Is Denny Trevathan back next year? in your opinion? I would say uh, that is a toss-up because his health history might scare teams off the driver's price down to a respectable price for the Broncos. Uh, 
I'm not sure. That that's like the hardest one. I Malik Jackson is likely gone if the Broncos do need to uh, uh, give Brock more of the preferential treatment, especially. And uh, but everybody was expecting Malik Jackson to cash it elsewhere anyway. So uh, and that's uh, but Trevathan's more of a mystery uh, right now. I know Brandon Marshall is sort of an exclusive rights agent right now. Um, guys like Ronnie Holman and C.J. Anderson, I don't think they want to go through this mess again. Who do you think is saved out of the two, if any of them? Oh, hell yeah. C.J. Anderson, for crying out loud. It's a no-brainer. This guy fits the Kubiak offense to the T as well. And Ronnie Holman is a track star. Roddy's more of a track star. CJ is more of an NFL type back. Did you see that, that touchdown in, in the Super Bowl? He ran yes, right I through the, the best linebacking duo in the National Football League. He is so freaking strong in his lower body. He symbolizes that kicking and screaming mentality that the Broncos have this year and want to continue to have for from now on. Hell yes, CJ Anderson. <laughs> Don't yell at me on the skin. Sorry, um, sorry about that. I'm just so enthused. That's uh, that's what happens when you see with the freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> of course, um, we have Vernon Davis. It didn't really work out. You know, what do you expect? You're changing teams in the middle of the season. Do you think they extend him at least, or is that sort of a failed experiment? Nope, I think Vernon Davis is as good as God because uh, keep in mind, they did draft Jeff Hireman from Ohio State in the third round um, uh, last year. And a lot of people were very high on the pick, and unfortunately he tore his ACL in the um, uh, rookie mini camp shortly after that. Um, uh, like, And he and Dante Fowler Jr., like uh, uh, that classic photo of both of them, like uh, tweeting a selfie after both of them got their knees, uh, their, their knees fixed. So uh, they're very, they're, they still remain very high on Jeff Hire, but they think he is like an Owen Daniels clone. And uh, and they're expecting him to like uh, to, to take over next year. So and Vernon Davis, being the age he is, I and, and with his drop problems, I think he's as good as gone. And the Hireman, um, uh, I think will uh, it's the Hireman show next year. Sticking with the tight end class, is Bradley Green possibly on the roster bubble? Uh, what Broncos do do I see on the roster bubble right now that that might get cut or something like that? Uh, if that's your question, um, one guy floated this idea, and he said it was a hunch instead of inside information. Uh, uh, it, 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 he, by the way, he's a very good follow on Twitter. It's Brandon Thorne at Veteran Scout, one of the best NFL draft minds out there. Uh, he said that the Broncos could be thinking of the bag of their minds. Yes, DeMarcus Ware is a first down Hall of Famer down the road. Yes, he contributed to the Broncos in key ways. But keep in mind, he's going on 34, and he missed five games with a back straight. And the older you get, that back tends to betray you even more in in a back-breaking labor like football. Uh, So they might ask where to restructure. And if he doesn't want to restructure, they might be willing to cut him. So it it tends to try to re-sign both Malik Jackson and Brock Osweiler. But uh, that might be a long shot. And another uh, guy maybe potentially on the chopping block, uh, even though I don't see it happening, maybe because of his injury history, Ryan Clady, but I think they want to give Ryan Clady one more chance under a restructure. 
but uh, those are the only two uh, games I can think of uh, other than that. I don't see the Broncos cutting anybody necessarily. Is Virgil Green back next year? I believe Virgil Green is back next year. The Broncos, uh, they love his uh, uh, pass-catching skills as well as his blocking, and they... um, uh, and, uh, and and he, he, you saw his potential in the passing game and the win against the Packers uh, on Sunday Night Football this this year, Week 8. And uh, the Broncos definitely want to plan to use Virgil Green more like that next year. He, he, has, uh, he has serious receiving chops, and I think they're definitely keeping him, and he's also under contract for two more years. Uh, so real quick, we're right. looking at um, hey, uh, hey David, this is Rory. How's it going? Hey, very good. Thanks, uh, uh, Rory. Yeah, Rory. I'm a Raiders fan. Don't hold it against me. Um, I'm asking, no, I, I know you. I, 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 I guys have a bright future. I bullish on the Raiders long term, personally. So, <laughs> well, that, that makes two of us. And uh, I just, went, I just mad. I can't hold the three Lombardis over your head anymore. Darn it. Um, but uh, outside of playful jesting. I was actually looking online at the uh, contract situation for a guy like DeMarcus Ware, because I thought you mentioned a good idea restructuring DeMarcus Ware. So just a little bit uh, of an idea of what you're looking at. He actually has a $7 million base salary. He has a $3 million roster bonus, and then about $1.5 million in prorated roster money. So you're looking at $11.5 million cap hit for the season, Depending on when it's fully, depending on when the base salary is guaranteed, so if you were to cut him, you're looking at one and a half million in dead cap. But realistically, I could see where the restructure would make sense, and you could maybe get him to cut that number in half in those two years. I still don't think you're opening up. Of course, freaking semi has to start my way. Um, my biggest concern is I still don't think you're going to be opening up enough cap space to to like resign Malik Jackson. It sounds like with the, what I read with Malik, he's really wanting wanting to test free agency because he's turned down multiple contract offers. It sounds like, and uh, and it sounds the other thing I've seen online is uh, the Bears have the hots for Danny Trevathan like something evil, and are willing to fork out a ton of money for him. Uh, yes, uh, 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 yes. Like I said, everybody even like months ago, months ago. Like in, in like October, in November, uh, people weren't spending up a league jacket with cash elsewhere. It's not a surprise at all. It's not a surprise yeah. at all. <laughs> Excuse me. Denver might be wanting to make a last ditch uh, effort to like outside of, but Sammy, in football, especially after you win a championship, your main concern is your long term health and your long term financial security in a sport as dangerous as football. And only chance, uh, and, and for that reason, would be foolish not to just take somebody else for even if it's for a losing team like Jacksonville, who uh, who is really trying to make a run at him, from what I hear. Yeah, and the Raiders are the other team. Raiders are going to be real hot after Malik Jackson. Um, uh, and, you know, it's going to depend, too, if Muhammad Wilkerson hits free agency. It could get really interesting for the two of them. Uh, Mike, what I was thinking, too, is with, this, with their cap situation, is how does Peyton Manning play into it? Because with his cap hit, the way that contract is structured, they can't do anything until there's a decision on Peyton Manning. Uh, and at this point, Von Miller looks like he's set for the franchise tag. Doesn't look like they're going to get any contract out with him anytime soon. But they're in a real pickle with this Peyton Manning contract. They need someone has to make a move on it. 
in order for them to start making transactions. I, I, I my gut is that uh, might be a false alarm that some dramatists are ringing, uh, but uh, oh, the expectation is, regardless of what he decides to do, whether he wants to play or not next year, he's not. It's not going to be on the Broncos. Even Archie himself said after the Super Bowl that he thinks Pate is done in Denver, regardless of his decision. So expect uh, that contract to come off the books. And that's about twenty million in cap space or so. Correct. So it's a pretty pretty big chunk. Yes, but still not enough to sign Malik Jackson, who is going to get. Uh, I'm not going to say overpaid, but maybe a tad bit overpaid, like they expect him to be J.J. Watt. Uh, like I said, he might not reach J.J. Watt levels, but, he'll, but but like a consistent type guy like Michael Bennett is absolutely believable for him. The number I'm seeing floated for Malik Jackson is about $12 million a year. That's coming um, from, I, uh, like, Adam. Uh, that, that's, I hear 13 or 14 from reports okay. I read. So, uh so that's, like I say, I think the Jaguars are offering 14 and the Raiders might be offering 11 or 12 or, uh, uh, or, or that about. So, and maybe the Bears jump in and get it because of his connection to John Fox. So uh, you never know. Maybe. It's going to be fun. Yep. Or Miami, but I don't think they could afford it. No, Miami uh, would have to restructure Sue's contract. Yeah. They, Miami's stuck. They can't do anything until... They can't do anything unless what they what they have to do is take Sue's contract, which is majority base salary, essentially convert it into bonus, and that way to take that base salary down to like one one million and then tack it all on the back end, do the Ben Roethlisberger treatment. Otherwise, they, they can't. They're stuck. They can't do anything. They should probably hire John Asik to help with that cap. No, they already have Mike Tannenbaum. One just <laughs> one thing. <laughs> they, they can't. Up. <laughs> we got like one guy to kick the can down the road. You can't have a guy to clean it up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, and also I'm not really sure that he's as close to Adam Gates as he is to John Fox and Jack Del Rio. So, <laughs> obviously, um, DJ Ward's contract is. Still, uh, pretty big. Uh, do you think they restructure that, you know, possibly to free up any extra money for the Demarius, possibly? That might be a possibility given what transpired today. Uh, David Bruton um, was interviewed today, and I'm sure you know David Bruton played uh, his fair share of snaps on defense this year and came through very and came through very well for the Broncos on defense. He's also been their ace special teamer for years since he was drafted in 2010. And if they want to free up more money for Bruton, they might ask maybe a guy like T.J. Ward to sacrifice it because they're going to probably want to like uh, have Bruton on the field for an equal amount of time as Ward because Ward, his strength is more as like a box safety uh, uh, that can blitz, like uh, kind of like a, a, a poor man's Troy Palomaro where Bruton is it to be better in pass coverage. So, um, uh, that I I'm not think that's going to happen, but it's just a hunch that the Broncos just might be thinking about that. Well, there's not a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to uh, T.J. Ward's salary, though. He only counts for five and three quarter, like five point seven million. It's, just, yeah. it's not a lot, you know. It's not a like I think the logical the logical contract restructure might uh, be yeah, Demarius Thomas. Uh, but... Good point. That is, that isn't a big contract, and uh, 
Uh, yeah. and, and, and although why it is plausible to like uh, ask the various to restructure after his uh, weaknesses and Peyton Manning's uh, decline phase were exposed, uh, uh, I don't think he's going to be willing to restructure is the question. That is the big thing. Well, the really only way to do with Demarius is to convert base salary to bonus again. Is to do it that way, and then just you know, talk to the bonus payments on the back end of the contract. I mean, he's young enough where he could do it. And it uh, a big deal. Uh, that, that, that's a good point. And for the record, I'm not a salary cap numbers whiz like uh, you guys yeah. are. But uh, I I'm a nerd. Uh, so. I, I I gotta learn more about it. You inspired me to learn more about it. But I definitely am familiar with that thing about converting base salary to bonus to like delay the uh, to like take a chunk out of the annual cap hit. Yeah. Yeah. So the easy way to think about it is just it's it's all this an accounting game. So when you convert the base salary to bonus, what it does is the bonus what you convert. It gets spread out over the rest of the years, and that's just it's it's the way it's done in accounting terms. It's not too complicated. It's actually it's just a weird accounting trick. It's very bizarre, but I'm surprised they actually allow teams to do it because it plays such weird uh, financial weirdness on caps. It's easy. Um, Cody Latimer. Uh, this is. Will be this will be probably I think his third year in the league. Uh, is this a make or break season for him? I would say it is because, uh, like, if the, especially the Broncos re-signed Brock, he is a receiver that is meant for a guy like Osweiler. He just wasn't meant to, uh, to be a receiver for Peyton Manning because Latimer isn't a route runner. He's not a timing receiver. Uh, he's more like that jump ball acrobatic catch uh, power I'll forward. Alshon Jeffrey type. Yes, exactly. Like, and, and Peyton doesn't like those receivers. He likes route runners. And uh, uh, and, 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 and with a guy like Brock, uh, uh, and they showed a lot of promise together um, uh, uh, in that game against the Bears, actually. So uh, so this, this is it. Cody Latimer has to prove that he has to prove a lot of people's beliefs that he was drafted more for Brock than for Peyton, so um, and so this year is will definitely be his time to shine. He just wasn't meant to play with Peyton; was meant to play with Brock. Now it's time to make the plays, Cody. A guy I wanted to see more of was Juwan Thompson. Does he uh, stay with the Broncos or is he cut? Uh, uh, Juwan Thompson. Uh, the uh, Juwan is an interesting cat, uh, although uh, I think Jason Snelling that would be uh, uh, the best comparison for him. Jason Snelling, like a hybrid running back, fullback who could catch the ball out of the backfield. But uh, another guy who they're really high on was the guy on their practice squad, Capri Bibbs, out of Colorado State. Uh, Capri, uh, uh, one of the advantages Capri has right is that he played in his own blocking system in college. And uh, he knows that he obviously knows the Broncos' offense to a T. And if he matures well enough, especially in, a, in terms of pass protection, then that might make Juwan Thompson expendable um, uh, in 2016. Right. 
I'm going to open up to you. Do you have any more questions for David? Hmm. Uh, I, I, I was trying to think about the offensive line, but Joey mentioned the Clady, and that's big. And I actually think you made a good point regarding uh, Latimer because you're right, the scheme thing with Peyton Manning, it just doesn't work. And when you watch this offense, when they go back to the Kubiak style, the majority of the routes, it's firstly, it's really basic, it's simplified, but a lot of the routes are deep. They usually have one guy who's just like, just going deep, at least one. And then you usually have a guy who's kind of crossing, coming over that direction. That's just Cody Latimer to a T. Either one, going deep or running, you know, like a deep crossing route. So I think that's going to fit him a lot better. Uh, but I just, overall with the Broncos, I think, you know, got to be a hat tip to John Elway, who's done a really, really solid job. He came in, packed that team for the free agents, then went and drafted well. And I think it's left the team. You know, there's a lot of question marks going into the offseason. A lot of guys that get paid. But uh, overall, there's still a lot of talent in that team. And um, it's going to be a really competitive team going forward regardless. Even without Peyton Manning, you know, it's still going to be a really talented football team. Wouldn't be surprised because that of Broncos Raiders in that division next year. I believe so too. It might come down to Denver Oakland exactly because uh, uh, Derek Carr and Brock Osweiler are two young quarterbacks that have flashed potential, and uh, that could be a rivalry, uh, an intriguing rivalry in the AFC West and the AFC in general for years to come. And, and given like uh, like they have kind of identical pieces, like Khalil Mack and Bob Miller, two freakish mm-hmm. uh, edge rushers who are going to like cash in big time. Uh, well, Bob's going to cash in big time this year, but when Khalil is up for contract, he'll cash in even bigger, I think. So, uh, 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 and he also got... It's good, uh, to have rival, it's good to have rivalry back in AFC West. Oh, 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 absolutely. It's good, it's good to see teams being good again. It's like, you know, it, it, it's so many years, how bad was this division? Not just the Raiders, but everybody. And then, you know, on top of that, just a little second for someone to like kill the Kills the rivalries, you know, and it's it's some of the oldest rivalries in the NFL. You know, yes. sixty years this division's been around. You know, it's uh, uh, for fifty uh, plus years. So it's, uh, it's yeah, great yeah. having it back. I agree completely. It is, and this is exactly what the NFL needs to make more money. It needs some of its best rivalries that have been sort of like kind of taking a step backwards to, to get up again. They have to stop talking about expanding the season to eighteen games and start help figuring out way to help teams. Um, uh, get back to um, uh, get back to relevancy faster instead. Uh, that will boost ratings. Mark my words. Yeah, I think the salary cap constantly increasing every year helps that. You know, a lot of these teams who aren't that good who do make mistakes to recover them from them a little bit easier. Rookie contracts taking a step back has changed a lot of that. You know, Jamarcus Russell, the impact he had on the Raiders for a long time with that contract. Oh, yeah, that, like that was killer. That was killer. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm pretty much done. I, 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 I got no other questions, so I just wanted to throw that in because, uh, you know, just the hat tip to John Elway and uh, what the Broncos staff has done over there has uh, been pretty impressive. So. Yeah, same, same with Reggie McKenzie and his staff in Oakland. You guys are doing a great job, too, and uh, I only expect that thing to get better this off season. I hope so. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm too young to remember any of the good years. <laughs> I don't I think I really am, actually. Uh, well, oh, you, you could ask the final question, Isaiah. Go ahead. Um, or Rory, well, go ahead. I had, well, I really had two. Uh, it's about 
Sylvester Williams, we talked about uh, on Bill's show a while ago, on when he said, let Pyros go. Do you think he filled that job admirably with Pyros out of the picture? Yes, with a capital Y. I was what, like last uh, spring, I was one of those Broncos fans that was skeptical. Skeptical. Uh, about them letting Terrence Knight uh, walk at the agency. And Sylvester Williams, he did absolutely nothing in 2014. I was like, God, are they crazy? What are they thinking? But when it comes to Wade Phillips' system, he likes his nose tackles with defensive end speed, meaning less than 320 pounds, Sylvester Williams 313 pounds. And they brought in Bill Kohler, the the legendary defensive line whisperer in, and he got out of Sylvester what the Broncos thought they were getting in 2013. And in that Super Bowl, he was constantly getting penetration against Ryan Khalil, one of the best centers in the NFL. So he played one of the best games I've ever seen him play in the Super Bowl. And he, so not only did he fill the job, in, he exceeded expectations by a mile. And, and, that is, and I think that was one of the key, most underrated key storylines in this Broncos historic defense this year was the maturation of Sylvester Williams into a capable NFL-level player, or a beyond-capable NFL player, I say. <laughs> because that Wade Phillips defense, although it's a 3-4, it operates like a 4-3. And yes, so those nose tackles, those nose tackles play a lot more like a three technique kind of one sap type than they do a nose tackle. They're actually a lot of penetrating. They don't really, you know, hold just hold down a gap or anything. It's a lot different than yes, traditional that, 34. Uh, yes, well, and that's you, that's kind of yes, and that was, uh, can I chime in here? That is why the Broncos uh, uh, wanted to keep him because they thought, because Sylvester played in a similar scheme in college, actually, a 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three hybrid, where, like, they might have had a 3-4 alignment, but they, with 4-3 contests, meaning one-gap penetration, not two-gap plugging. And uh, Sylvester Williams, uh, Jack Rio does ask uh, people to use two-gap plugging a lot, and he just mm-hmm. couldn't plug it up to the gap. But now Wade Phillips asking him to one-gap, that played that play more, way more with strengths, and uh, that uh, turned out to be um, uh, uh, the, the, the underlying reason why the Broncos uh, decided to keep him. Indeed. My final question to you, go, what is the biggest draft need? Uh, draft need? The biggest draft need for the Broncos? Well, the beauty of it is it, uh, it's a roster that can still use improvement in many areas, and it's a defending Super Bowl champion. And uh, that's, uh, um, yeah, but like I floated earlier, especially if they lose Malik Jackson in free agency, a lot of Broncos uh, fans and some insiders uh, on Twitter have been talking that since they're talking about Robert Kavnici's draft stock falling to like where Shane Ray was drafted last year, they see the Broncos making a jump up to around that area to add Kavnici to replace Malik Jackson. That's one uh, possible avenue for the Broncos. Uh, another one, uh, more safety depth, uh, because uh, I honestly was panicked when both T.J. Ward and Gary Stewart were sidelined during the final minutes of the uh, AFC Championship game. And, uh, uh, like, a, uh, well, getting Bruton back, we signed Bruton would be huge in that, but it wouldn't hurt drafting uh, uh, another safety. And got to get another offensive tackle because I personally believe Mike 
tackles in the National Football League. Okay. I think you've got on about the defensive line spot, and I think this is the reason why the Broncos aren't going to make a big play for Malik Jackson. I think they wanted to get him on a cheap deal, and they're not going to, and I think they're not going to bother because this draft is stuffed full of five techs, like that long, kind of like six foot four, six foot five, three hundred to three hundred fifteen pound long arm defensive ends. It's I, just full of them, and like you're talking on the back end of the first round, there's so many guys who could fit that role. I highly doubt Indiche would be, Indiche is going to be there. Just because this draft to me lacks a lot of talent, it lacks so much talent on the top end. There's not a lot of elite guys that, regardless of his issues, he's probably going to stay up. Like Shane Ray was in a draft where there was still a lot of talent in it, so he naturally fell because there were other options. This draft doesn't have a lot of options, like on the elite side of it. And oh, David was. See... I'm sorry, sorry, David was so... panicking with the uh, Shane he... Ray pick. He played the run a lot better than I thought he would in his rookie year. I'll give you that. Yeah. He, but he's a natural pass rusher. That's what he does. But my point is, I just don't think Ngadice is going to fall like that. I think his stock's going to stay kind of in the first. But it doesn't matter because this draft is so full of that type of player. Yes. That position. And, and there's and so he, many of them that by the time they come around, they're, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have, you know, 20 guys yes. of them that are all really good. Totally, and keep in mind, Malik Jackson was a fifth-round pick, so yeah. the Broncos can easily find a guy that can replace him, that can go into his replacement in the long run. As we say in this draft, this draft is shot full of like potential replacements and clones for Malik Jackson. So, uh, so, and, and so, I think that's why the Broncos might be, they might be maybe saying, "Oh, we're negotiating Malik down, maybe just to like." Uh, uh, like uh, it, it, maybe the smoke screen because they're really talking to Brock right now. I don't know, but uh, uh, but because of the talent of this draft, they're probably going to uh, 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 willingly let Malik Jackson take his well-deserved money elsewhere. You remember when the Steelers were faced with a decision to either sign Emmanuel Sanders or um, who's the one now? The uh, Antonio Brown? Or no, no, not Emmanuel Sanders. It was Antonio Brown or the one who went to Miami. What's his face? Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace. And what they decided to do was they offered them both contracts, and Antonio Brown took the better deal, and then Mike Wallace wanted to get paid, and he went to Miami. I think that's yeah. exactly what they did with Malik Jackson and Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf took the smaller offer. They probably offered both of them the same contract. Wolf took the deal that was smaller. Malik Jackson said, forget it, I'll test the waters. And uh, so they re-signed Wolf, uh, yes, and, and Malik now moves uh, going. Yes, I'm not saying Derek Wolf is better than Malik Jackson, but he definitely became a stud this year as well, Derek Wolf. And at least they kept one of them. And, uh, yeah, and, and Derek really Wolf played every game of his life in the AFC Championship game. I thought. Uh, aren't, yeah. aren't you with me there? Yeah, I'm, and I think they're going to get better bang for their buck with Derek Wolf than they are with what they would be forced to pay with Malik Jackson. Because, like you said, Malik Jackson, no matter what. He's really going to ever pay. I mean, if we're talking twelve to fourteen million dollars for Malik Jackson, I don't care if it's yeah. the Jaguars or the Raiders. They're overpaying for him. The difference is a team like the Jaguars or the Raiders can overpay for him, and they really don't care because they still have to hit the floor, the salary floor. So it works out for them to overpay because it's completely irrelevant. Um, but uh, the Broncos, they need bang for their buck. So Derek Wolf, I think you're going to get way more bang for your buck. Uh, and, and you also about brought up a. Uh, 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 God, God, God! The thought slipped my head. I, I and I'm saying I, I completely agree with the bank uh, for the buck 
uh, from Derek Wolf because uh, a, a lot of people say, oh, Derek Wolf is just uh, all, all, all he does is set the edge of the run game. That's not true. His pass rushing skills improved by leaps and bounds this year, I thought. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and also, but, but here is my point. The Broncos don't want to be where the Seahawks are right now, where the Seahawks mm-hmm. have, like, too much of a front-loaded roster of, like, nine or ten guys making uh, at or near double-digit figures per year, and the rest of their roster is peanuts. The Broncos don't want that. They want a more well-rounded roster, and that's why I think John Elway is not as dumb as many knuckleheads are, are saying uh, for about not paying Malik his, his due because he wants to – he wants to he wants to keep this roster depth, and he doesn't want to sacrifice the depth part with with too many front loaded contracts or heavy contracts, I should say. The Chiefs are another team just like that. Mm-hmm. Well, David, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, My pleasure, Isaiah. I... It's always a pleasure coming on your show, and I hope to be talking a lot of draft with you in the months ahead. Yep. Where can people find and follow your work? Uh, they could go to my YouTube channel. It, it, it's my name, David Cromelo. That's K-R-O-M-E-L-O-W. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. I have my podcast called Sports Crunch with D. Crom. And uh, next week, I am I I am hopeful I am going to be interviewing uh, NFL draft uh, guru John Ledyard and to talk some NFL draft with him next week. And it's, we're going to be talking a lot of drafts. Uh, obviously, most, uh, mostly if not all NFL, but I hope to sprinkle some NBA or some NBA or baseball in there as well. So that's the name of my podcast. It's on my YouTube channel. Go check it out. Um, yeah, um, a lot of the draft stuff is pretty interesting. Uh, we are. I'm trying to get uh, Julius Thomas next week. Uh, just hopefully he emails me back. <laughs> uh, well, on Bill's show, where I had got Dan Hatman, director of the scouting development, uh, on this Friday, if you guys would like to join. Is that with awesome. uh, you guys and Bill? And, uh, is that the podcast with you and Bill and um, what's your name? Jim. Jim, thank you. <laughs> is it that one, the... Uh, What's the name of that podcast again? What is it? Uh, it's gonna hit me. Feeling a draft. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for the invitation, um, uh, Isaiah. I, uh, I'll uh, highly consider about joining the convo on Friday, man. Take care. Take care. Well, that was fun, and that now was we're fun. Joining. David spicy about his Broncos, man. That was fun. I'm surprised there wasn't any yelling between the two fan bases. Oh, stop it. I am much more civil than that most of the time. We are joined by Mr. Bill Carroll. How are you doing, Bill? Well, you know, uh, I just missed, you know, D. Crumsey, um, as he's called in the streets. But uh, it's uh, it's always a thrill. And, you know, hey, things, I mean, I'm not trying to, state the obvious or overstate the obvious, it's clear that that team doesn't need to get an Aaron Rodgers-like performance from their quarterback to be good. If they can essentially hold serve, stay healthy, 
And if Osweiler essentially becomes, you know, a Flacco type, which he has all the components to become, in fact, he's a little more athletic than Flacco, you could essentially see that team a contender again next year. Obviously, the Patriots will be in the mix because the Patriots are the Patriots. Uh, and then we'll have to see if there can be another team that emerges, whether Houston, can, you know, gets better, whether uh, who else could legitimately get in there. Um, I mean, we'll see if, you know, some the sort Colts. of – Yeah, the Colts could have some sort of minor miracle, but they've been drafting pretty weirdly the last three or so yeah. years. And it's hard to – the team that they've put together, unless they have truly an amazing draft coming up, I don't see that team challenging Pittsburgh, let alone, you know what I mean? Like, there is there's a whole lot of teams that are better than the Colts in terms of depth of talent at almost every position. They've got a good young quarterback, as everybody knows. They've got some pieces at wide receiver and tight end. Their offensive line's kind of a mess. Their defensive line, bleh. Uh, their linebacker core is nothing to write home about. Their secondary overpaid and underperforms. Uh, it's hard to get excited, really, about that roster once you get past the offensive skill position. So, no, I don't. Unless they have, they have a tremendous draft and basically hit at every single spot in the draft, get at least two offensive linemen that are ready to plug and play, and then find four or five defenders who can contribute, two or three starters, and some guys can give you quality depth. And then to hit one or two guys in undrafted free agency and probably pick up a free agent or two to be a true contender. That That's not a great roster. That is a not great roster. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a lot if they, hit a, if they hit a couple pass rushers and they, with their offense, their ability to get ahead, and they could just, if they had a couple pass rushers that could just do the Robert Mathis, like, for anything, and get ahead and then just start pass rushing for a whole second half, I could see them beating up a relatively poor division and, you sure. know, having some decent things. But I, it's still going to be tough to imagine them doing much in the playoffs. That's why I think they're going to get ground up. Yep. I mean, look at when they made that Super Bowl run. Um, Gary Brackett, though he's not exactly a superstar, actually had a really good year at linebacker. Marlon Jackson and and Sterling Hayden, once again, not exactly superstars, but had career years. I mean, it's not a coincidence. And Antoine Bethea, who probably was the best player in their secondary, had a great year. Um, He was like a poor man's Earl Thomas that year. So they had a total team defensive performance, particularly the last part of the year and, in, and run through the playoffs. They, the first few weeks of the season, you, were, you weren't looking at that defense thinking, man, these guys are going to be tough because they weren't. But as that year went along, they got better and better. And, you know, coaching, right? Coaching matters more in football than any of the other sports. I mean, let's be honest. If you've got, you know, I mean, no offense to Steve Kerr, who is a good coach, but I'm pretty sure I could get the Golden State Warriors about 50 wins. You know, I'm pretty sure I could do that. Uh, and in baseball, if you've got great pitching and your offense is okay, you're going to be a contender. I mean, you shouldn't be able to screw that up, no matter what you, how average you are as a manager. But in football, you can have great talent and be terrible if your coaching is bad. And you can, and by the, and conversely, a team with talent, so so talent can be a contender year after year if you've got great coaching. 
Isaiah, are you awake? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I was going to reduce into the tweet. I was expecting you to fire out a question at some point. <laughs> so, looking at this class coming up, there is talent. Not a not a lot of talent on certain positions, but if you really look, there is some key contributors within like the. Uh, so, Day three to undrafted, there are some decent players. It's not a draft that we're used to seeing all these top-level prospects uh, that are so loaded at one position. It depends on what you... It depends what okay. you This is what you need, right? I mean, this is the best five technique draft I've seen in 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is what you need. If you're a team like OFC Pittsburgh that has been dying at that position for years, I mean, when, when Kiesel and, and Von Olofen and uh, the other guy, his name just, Aaron Smith, right? When those guys left, you know, people don't pay much attention to the five techniques until you don't have one. And it's like, oh, oh, man, those guys are hard to find. And so they wandered in the wilderness. You know, they tried to play Ziggy, uh, what's his name, Hood. They tried, right. they tried to play him. At, it was, was a tremendous failure. I mean, he's a three-tech. Uh, they tried all kinds of things, and it was ugly. There's no other way to put it. They had some ugly five-technique performances. They, guys that couldn't hold the edge, guys that couldn't get pressure on the passer. I mean, it's hard to find those guys, except this year. <laughs> this is a year. If you need a five-tech, you can find a guy who's probably in the third or fourth round who might be a starter at five-technique. There are years where there's not a single starter at five technique to be found in the whole thing. Is this a better there's, uh, there's got, there's seriously like 15. There's got to be between 10 and 15 five techs in this draft that could come in and be either starters or serious contributors very early on next season. I mean, that is weird. It, there's so many of them. It almost never happens. Like you, I've never seen anything like it. It's usually edge guys. It's usually like how many you know, kind of hybrid defense and outside linebackers are there. There's usually, you know, 15 of them that everyone's excited about. But this year it's 30, it's five techs specifically. And it's not three techs because there's like one. There's Kenny Clark, who's probably like the closest thing to a really nice, uh, maybe there's another one. There might be a few others. But it's specifically, though, you know, your five techs. The other position I like, um, I think is very interesting. It's inside linebackers. It's 34 weak side inside linebackers and 43 weak, out, weak outside linebackers. You know, the Wills and the uh, weak inside from 34. I think there's a lot of those guys. That's the other position I would say. There's a lot of depth. So would this be a better uh, – is this a better uh, class than the 2010 C class? that you were raving about? I'm sorry, say that again? Is this better than the 2010 uh, defensive tackle class? Then is it better than that? It's different from it. I want to say it's better. It's just different. It's a different class of guys, a different type of guy. Uh, There isn't – 
as someone just pointed out, there's no Warren Sapp to be found in this draft. Even there's mm-hmm. no Dominican Sue to be found in this draft. However, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, there's a decent number of zero techniques, um, not a huge class of true noses. There's a, but there is, is a bunch of guys who can play what they call the four eye or the five. Um, if you want that guy who can hold the point in certain situations, good against the run, but is actually a legitimately pretty good pass rusher on top of that, a guy who probably is better off facing a single team but can hold up big enough, strong enough, long enough to hold up against double teams, that guy is everywhere, as we just pointed out to be found in this particular draft, which almost never happens. So if you want a guy who can be moved around, I mean, there's no J.J. Watt, but there's a bunch of guys who can do some J.J. Watt-esque thing. A bunch of guys who can do some um, Justin Smith-ish thing. A bunch of guys who can do some Richard Seymour, not as good exactly. as not not that good, but can do some similar things. That guy, and let me just point out, it's like this is the hardest, one of the hardest guys in football to find. But the six four, six five to six six guy who's between 280 and 310 pounds, who actually can move, you know, pretty good athlete, long and strong. That guy's really hard to find. He runs four, seven something to about five flat and can, like I said, actually rush the passer a little bit. You know, it's sort of a bonus. He's not your main pass rusher, probably, but he can do it. He can get you six and a half, seven, in a good year, maybe even more, but usually somewhere between about four and a half and seven sacks. But also his guys can plug, you know, can hold the point and plug the middle a little if you want to play. He's not a guy you drop on the, you know, on the nose and leave there. That's, you know, he's not Lonnie Nada. That guy, well, you know, that guy's, once again, also impossible to find almost. So if you need a true zero technique, Sam Adams, okay, you're, you're kind of not feeling this draft. Like, that guy isn't all through this draft. That 360-pound dude that no one can move, that partially, once again, look at college football. The way that college football plays, who's not using tempo, right? Who's not spreading people out? That guy, Sam Adams, would be throwing up four or five times a game if you were in college football. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. It would be an unpleasant thing to watch, you know? Um, that It's hard to find 350-pounders because – who can play at that tempo at 350 pounds? So that guy's getting it harder to find. It's not a temporary thing. That's a long-term thing. It's going to be trouble finding that guy until there's some sort of seat change in offensive football at the collegiate level. But, yeah, you can still find three techs. You can still find, like I said, the four I and the five. Those guys are going to be around. There will be plenty of those types of guys. But God help you should you need, like I said, if you need a 350, 360 pounder, God help you. That's going to be a tough, tough get. Mm-hmm. Sorry, do you have anything you want to ask, Bill? Say, say that again. Like, I couldn't hear it. Do you have anything you want to ask, Bill? Oh, no, I think you hit it really, really well. Uh, I, I do think the interesting implication, like you mentioned, is moving forward. What are we going to see from NFL defenses? And this is something I've pondered a lot of because, you know, being a Raiders fan, I mean, right now they essentially have two nose tackles they're using. It looks like a 34. It kind of smells like a 34. It plays like a 34. 
but it's not quite a 34. Not quite. Probably, no. Not quite, but you may as well call it one. If you ever look like a duck, cracks like a duck, is it a duck? So it's kind of, you know, there, so it looks like a 34. Um, but I've only want, I, I wondered if there's a way, because you see Wade Phillips playing a 34, but he always used somebody more of a three-tech type, you know, where it was, um, oh, who was this guy in Dallas? Uh, uh, he went to the Bears. Um, oh, you're talking about um, and uh, hey, wait a second. Ratliff, thank you. Ratliff, yeah. Uh, so Jerry Ratliff was really undersized. He was like 290, barely 300 pounds, essentially playing no tackle. But the thing was, he never two gapped. He wasn't holding the point of attack. He was penetrating yep. and would get yep. a lot of sacks. And I think that there's going to be this adjustment to try to come up with a defensive scheme in the NFL with the 34 that's going to look maybe closer to a 52. And in the sense that sure. we, you might see two larger outside linebackers that might be in the close, you know, like that are better against the run, maybe closer to the 265 pounds. And then you might have a slightly smaller nose tackle, you know, and then maybe smaller inside linebackers. You know, one that's kind of a weak side, one's kind of a strong side, and I think that may be the adaptation, the adaptation we see with the thirty-four moving forward. Because otherwise, it, it's you're gonna have they're gonna have to develop a whole new scheme to counteract play because you can't constantly be shifting, and you need to be able to defend well on the fly, whether it's against the base defense that's moving at tempo or if it's spread defense. Because what's gonna ha- uh, what's gonna happen is teams are gonna start going to you know, 21 personnel in tempo out of the shotgun while you're in nickel, and now they're going to have an advantage on you because they're able to – or they're going to start using the pistol, which would you get a team that starts properly running the pistol, which I think is a genius formation because it allows your quarterback to keep his eyes in front of them like he does with the shotgun, but it allows yep. you to actually run with power with your back actually picking up momentum. If you can find a team that literally just starts running everything out of pistol, uh, you're really going to throw a wrench into a lot of defenses because now you can run tempo. Now you can run anything you want. The variety is outrageous, and you don't have any of the downside from running out of shotgun. And I just think there's going to have to be huge creativity done defensively to keep up with it because the college yeah, well, game is not producing traditional mold kind of guys or producing hybrids. And, and I'll, I'll just, what you're sort of piggybacking, I'll just refer back to that run, both with Alex Smith and later with Kaepernick, where the 49ers offense was one of the most fun to watch but frustrating to defend defenses out there uh, because both quarterbacks, so people always think of Kaepernick as being the runner. Alex Smith is a 4'6 guy, kids. Uh, he's no fun to try to chase down chase around either. So between those two, you had a legitimate threat from the quarterback actually you know, running it. You have Frank Gore, who, you know, underrated quasi-Hall of Fame, maybe even real Hall of Fame type guy. There, when they had Delaney Walker, they had a guy who could occasionally line up in the backfield too, give you a little bit of blocking, not devastating as a blocker, but, you know, hey, if you're a Will linebacker, he's no fun to wrestle with, and it doesn't take long for whether it be the running back or the quarterback, it doesn't take him long to get on top of you with, Walker's sort of H-backing or full-backing or whatever he's doing, getting in the way. Very good in the, and, very good in the slot. 
and they did right, and they could they could line up with him as a fullback in eye formation, kind of look, and then yeah, just motion him out. He can go into the slot. He can line up wide or line up as a Y, change the strength and line up over there. I mean, they could mess with you in a bunch of different ways. And when Harbaugh and, you know, Roman and, I mean, they had the whole thing going. That was enough. If they had kept the band together, basically, um, in San Francisco, they would have been a handful to deal with. Now, obviously, you know, we all know what happened, but who knows what they could have been had they, had they like I said, sort of kept the band together. So the interesting thing will be, if I'm assuming Chip Kelly's going to look at, you know, since he's trying to figure out what he's got in Kaepernick, he'll look at that tape of when things are going well and say, huh, if I combine my stuff with that stuff, I don't know if he'll do that, but if he does, mm-hmm. that's going to be a mess to deal with. That's going to be no fun to deal with. Um, if that's what they, if that's what he comes up with, if they come up with that, if they, if he takes some of his Chip Kelly stuff and then, you know, attaches, keeps some of that, stuff from the pistol run stuff and the, you know, pop passes and all the stuff that sort of comes off of it. Because if anyone can reclaim Kaepernick, and I don't think he's as far gone as people think. I mean, confidence is everything with quarterbacks. People forget what Steve Young looked like at one point. People forget what Steve Young looked like at one point. Everyone remembers the Steve Young hanging 55 points on people in the Super Bowl, Steve Young. There was a whole other Steve Young people that almost got considered a bust and was out of, almost out of football. People completely forget about that. People just wipe that from their minds, like the men in black saying, like, oh, Steve Young was awful <laughs> at one point, bad. People just forget it. He was terrible at one point. Not so much because he lost his talent or anything, but he still had talent, but he was in a terrible situation being poorly coached. Tampa Bay was a toxic, at that time, a toxic uh, franchise with bad coaching. And as soon as he got cleaned up, basically, they got him out of that you know, morass of terribleness that Tampa was, got him into a good organization, let him recover mentally. Now, he still has some challenges to overcome, like, oh, you know, hey, replace a legend. Oh, that's going to be great for my confidence. But eventually, he climbed that mountain and became, you know, I mean, his, he still got a few passer rating and, you know, whatever um, records still left, even in this golden age of passing. So, if you can build a real running game around Colin Kaepernick and have him participate in it, which he's more than capable of doing, and then attach to that a whole bunch of, you know, automatics and run pass options and, you know, nice little uh, play action stuff, you can once again have a guy that's going to give you 3,300 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, five or six interceptions, 600, 700 yards rushing. I mean, He's gonna, he can give you basically a poor man's Cam Newton kind of year every year that you're using correctly. And we'll see, like I said, if Chip's the, the guy to do that. And the beauty with the Pistons is you can make all your runs, and it doesn't matter if it's a specific run play or an option. For the most part, you can make them all look the same. They don't, you don't have to have a huge variation between them. Because even though the option... I mean, you can basically have Colin Kaepernick take the snap, maybe take about a full step to his right or left, whichever way, and then go into his option motion, which already gets the halfback moving towards a different gap that's a little farther wider. And then you yep. can still go for the option motion or just hand it off either way. But the point is it still looks the same. There doesn't have to be this huge variation between the looks you're going to get 
when you're running option or running normal runs. And that's the advantage you get with the pistol is everything looks the same. And now when you decide to spin off of it, you're going to get the old, you're going to get extra confusion for the defense because now all they've kept seeing is the exact same look every single time. And what, what it really helps is when you're running a normal run play, you're like, hey, we're just going to run, you know, whatever, wham or blast, like right between, you know, you know right in the inside gap. And it looks the exact same as an option play. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the defense end freezes, and he's not crashing in on it, regardless of even though it's not an option. And now there's a huge gap right where you want it to be because he's not coming in, crashing in, or taking up a blocker. And now all of a sudden, you've got a huge run, and it's a direct run play anyways from the get-go, and you're springing the big, you know, a big gain or touchdown or whatever. And so I think that's – to me, I've always – from the moment I saw the option at uh, – first time I ever saw it was UNR, you know, uh, the Wolfpack with Colin Kaepernick running it uh, when he was, you know, early in his career. The first time I saw it, I was like, this is legit. Like, they have to figure this thing out. And, like, this is yep. the NFL. Because to me, it's the perfect formation. As a Raiders fan, I would kill to see Derek Carr in the shotgun or um, in the pistol at all times. Like, you, yep. literally everything out of the pistol, I would be so excited to see it. And once again, though people don't think of him as a, as a runner, he's a really good athlete. Um, yeah, he, he, he ran the he, same forty times as Johnny Manziel. Exactly, people forget that. Exactly, yeah. people completely forget that because you know, one once again, he doesn't do the same things running that Manziel does, and of course, he's a bigger guy, so it doesn't look the same. Doesn't look like a water bug when he's out there. But if you wanted to have four or five design runs, which is where I'd like to sort of tap it, um, and especially if you pick the right spot, right? If you mm-hmm. pick the right spot, you're going to get still. 30, 40 cheap yards if you pick the right spots where you run it. Uh, and once again, just really get in his ear about, okay, you know, if someone's getting close, you know, don't be, don't Blind. be, we believe, right, we already know you're a tough guy. You have nothing to prove to us. We saw you play a whole year with a, with a, with a sports hernia. Everyone knows you're tough. Nothing to prove. We, we, we're convinced already. Anyone gets close, you, you, you Russell Wilson it, baby. But yeah, yeah you can do out of bounds and no stiff arms. <laughs> right, yeah, no, right, no stiff arms, no dropping the shoulder, no, none of that foolishness. No, if you know it, if you know how to do it correctly, people always talk about, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that because of injury. Every anyone who's looked at the numbers knows that over eighty percent of quarterback injuries come in the pocket. That's where quarterbacks usually get get hurt. Usually, when a guy quarterback's running, he knows to protect himself. There's a few exceptions, you know, the RG3, Lodi Nada thing, a few other. But most of the time when a guy's running, he knows he has to protect himself. The times usually when guys get hurt is when, you know, they think they're protected and then somebody, you know, poleaxes them while they're trying to throw a, a dig route or something. Or Tom Brady-style injuries where a guy's on the floor and, you know, gets, you know, like crawling to get a real low tackle on him or something like that. Right. Right, but like I said, yeah. most of the time the quarterback starts in the – everyone complains about we can't run the quarterback because of X, Y, Z. Well, that's mm-hmm. the time we can't throw passes because of quarterback – because that's where quarterbacks get hurt. It's throwing passes. In, in the pocket, throwing passes. So that's that's the real threat of injury. So that that's why I don't buy some of the we can't run our quarterback because of X. And it certainly helps if he's an athlete, but even guys who just are terrible athletes can pick you up Especially, like I said, if they, it almost helps in a way. If people, I mean, people forget that just a couple of years ago, Peyton had a couple of big runs on their Super Bowl run. 
uh, on some naked bootlegs. Now, I'm not saying you don't like doing that, you know, but still, it's a really good way to pick up cheap yards if you know for a fact that the defense is going to sell out to stop something else, which usually they are. The other thing I'll say, you mentioned another thing about pistol, is in addition to being able to build in all of the, the all the normal runs and have a lot of built-in run pass option kind of thing, if you you can basically use a lot of the West Coast timing with making slight changes because it's it's not so deep, you know, in terms of like a a, a full-on shotgun. It's not so deep. That's the problem when people talk about, you know, why it is certain things don't work. Why don't people run this with that? They forget that certain things are based on timing. This It takes a wide receiver X amount to reach this point on the field. So if you don't have a three-step, five-step, whatever, drop, then the person isn't where you're expecting to be when the ball's being thrown. Pistol is at the right distance where you can make a slight change, maybe, you know, change your three-step becomes a two-step, your five-step becomes a four-step, your seven-step becomes a six-step. And now you can basically run all the classic West Coast offense passing game concepts based on timing. That's the other thing I like about it as opposed to a full-on shotgun. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, what it gives you ultimately is flexibility because you can run anything with it. You can run single back. You can run two running back sets. Mm-hmm. You can run 11 personnel. You can run whatever you want with it, and you're going to have all the flexibility in the world. It's easily translatable from professional language into just you're essentially using the same language. All you're doing is changing the formation, changing the way the formation is designed. You're just dropping the quarterback back. But it's all essentially, you know, you're going to keep the same language. You don't have to, you know, like when you go from West Coast to, well, I guess saying spread is not really right because the spread does, like Chip Kelly utilizes some West Coast language in his spread. So I guess that's not really probably the right way to put it. But, like, West Coast, and then you go to, like, um, maybe, like, a lot of option routes. Like, when you had um, the yeah, guy I mean, who was in the New, very, York, very, the New York Giants guy forever who did nothing right. but wide receiver option routes. Well, Gilbride. Yeah, Gilbride. Gilbride comes that, from. That's a massive change of language right. from West Coast Gilbride, to him. That's like. Gilbride comes from, as you may know this, Gilbride comes from run and shoot. Um, he, when he was the offensive coordinator with mm-hmm. the Oilers, uh, he had come from working for Mouse Davis. Mouse Davis, the, the father of run and shoot, the guy who originated run and shoot at Portland, uh, Portland State. We did it as a high school coach, but took it with him to Portland State. Gilbride was on his staff. And Gilbride was on his staff again in the USFL um, as a quarterbacks coach. And then later when he when Gilbride uh, came to the Oilers and became their OC and, of course, had his famous fist fight with Buddy Ryan, um, he had been running run and shoot for several years by that point and was running pretty much pure run and shoot in his Oilers days. By the time he gets to the Giants, he, it's run and shoot in fluid, but it's not pure run and shoot. No one runs pure run and shoot offense, but what the Patriots do, have a lot of run-and-shoot concepts in it. And when Peyton was his own offensive coordinator, for lack of a way of putting it, he took the Tom Moore stuff and he took some Lindy Infante stuff because he found some of the old playbooks. You know, know, know know, that's who he is. Peyton Manning's guy got to look at stuff going back to United, practically. He looked at, I mean, that's who Peyton is. So while he was sitting there basically coalescing the Colts' offense. Last few years, he was basically their offensive coordinator. I mean, no offense to whoever else you want to mention, Clyde Christensen or what's his, not Christensen, but uh, Jim Caldwell, whoever. What do you want to mention? 
the guy who helped to synthesize the offensive game. And he would literally look at all the offenses. He would look at offenses they ran with that team going back 40 years, literally. And um, he'd say, oh, I like that. And he would pull that out and put it in his brain. And he would look at something else and say, oh, I like that. And so he, he kept some stuff from a bunch of an offenses, including, you know, a lot of the old deep pass attack stuff back when he had the arm to do it, was all that stuff that Tom Moore developed back in his days with Pittsburgh that he run when Terry Bradshaw was winning, you know, helping them to win for Super Bowl. So he kept that stuff. And then he looked at some of the stuff Lundy Infante did, which was very close to North, not close to, it was from the same tree as North Turner, right? So Lundy Infante, North mm-hmm. Turner, and that bunch are all part of the, basically, yeah, their influence. Right, exactly. But but a little more, uh, how do I put this, not simplified, but more grounded, right? It wasn't quite as airy as Eric Coriel, mm-hmm. but it still, but still, the same concept in terms of stretching a lot of vertical stretches and then building underneath stuff off of it. We're going to have this guy, one guy, at least one guy's going to run deep on you. I don't care if you're just trying to get one yard. There'll be somebody running deep just in case, just in case you decide to bust coverage when you get cheap touchdowns. So I don't care what it is. One guy's running deep on every play. And that was something that Peyton used to do every time. And that's a lot of Marvin Harrison, whoever's cheap touchdowns have come on, you know, something that were originally built around getting some to the tight end. Hey, we're going to try to get three yards to Dallas Clark to pick up this third and three. And take and look up and see, uh-oh, that safety decided to cheat down. Well, we're get that touchdown time instead. Uh, so he would keep a lot of that stuff, and then he would combine it with, I mean, he, you know, he watches everybody, right? He watches, he watched stuff from Jim Kelly's Kaga. I mean, he just watched everything. He's a man. And he would walk into meetings, you know, or with his, OC and say, hey, let's add in some of this. Let's put in some of that. Let's, okay, this really worked for us on blah, blah, blah when I was here with so-and-so before you got here. I mean, every offensive coordinator he's had after Tom Moore, in essence, uh, has essentially been collaborating. No one's been teaching Peyton Manning offense, you know, in a long time. I mean, until very recently, they actually taught him a new offense uh, in his days with, you know, the Kubiak offense. Most recently, he had to literally learn a new offense for the first time in 14, 13, whatever, some fairly large number of years. And a lot more under center, a lot more. I mean, you could see it restricted. So, I mean, obviously, his limitations were a restriction, but people forget Peyton hadn't had to think uncomfortably in a long time. He was thinking forever, but he wasn't thinking uncomfortably. It wasn't, it was like trying to think in a language that wasn't your native language. And it took them a while to be able to think effectively in this new language. And even then, you know, he never got to his old, I mean, he, you know, obviously couldn't get to his old level of comfort. But when you run pistol and you have an inventive offensive coordinator with it, now you've got, like we said, you can run all the stuff you would run from classic I formation. You run all the stuff you'd run in sort of a, like a more of a, you know, spread, uh, you know, shotgun situation. You can run all that stuff. And you can run some stuff that's specifically pistol. So if you look at the actual Chris Alt playbooks, which are awesome. And there's oh, a... very fun. Oh, yes. And there's a whole set of... Uh, his office uh, line coach, who I think might have eventually become a coordinator too, uh, Chris Klanakis has a whole set of DVDs on all the wicked stuff you can do in the run game. Wicked stuff you can do in the run game. Because you could, 
he did a, he did a lot of zone stuff, and then he did a lot of man stuff. And he would basically decide. Now, you have to have bright offensive linemen to do it, but he would decide whether to run their zone running version of their offense or the man version of their offense based on the defense. So the defense was one that was really fast, slow, and a lot of guys who were sort of undersized but super quick and like to jump gaps and whatever. It's like, oh, okay, is that what you like to do? <laughs> we got something for you. You know, and then they would start trapping people and wham blocking them and influence plays and all that good stuff. And then if you were, you know, more like a bunch of big, powerful guys, he would whip out, you know, once again, same running concepts, but a different version of them where the blocking schemes would take advantage of the things you don't do well. Oh, you don't do the job of flowing to the perimeters? All righty then. You know, and so I just, you know, flip this switch, and now we're running a different version. Now, you have to have bright offensive linemen. If your offensive linemen are athletic and aren't smart, um, you, you'll struggle because they'll struggle to remember, oh, wait, I'm not blocking that guy. Now I'm blocking that place over there. And then, you know, i got to look for whoever comes into that part of the field, which is – and it doesn't sound complicated. And too, I mean, I'm, lucky, I'm you know, I'm 5'7 and change. I've never played offensive line in my life. But I've talked to enough offensive linemen to understand that it's a difficult – I play defense at bat, and I know how it can be different trying to tell yourself, okay, I'm not covering that guy. I'm covering this place. So I know how different that was for me playing go versus playing man. And I imagine it's got to be even more difficult for an offensive lineman who's usually used to, especially in a run game, unloading – because they love that. That's why offensive linemen want to run football because it's fine just to unload on those dudes. I am going to – Break that dude's chest plate on this play. Oh, God, thank you for this. We're running 30 blasts. Oh, thank you, God. And now it's like, okay, no, you're not going to unload on that guy's chest plate. You're going to go, you're going to take that step over there to that way and then look to see who's coming. And if he's on that shoulder, then you let the next guy get him. But if he's over there, now you get to unload on it. And it's more disciplined. And not every, not every offensive lineman can do it. There are guys who just can't get out of their heads that I'm going to unload on that guy. No, 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 no! Don't do that. Oh, oh no! Right? <laughs> they get, you know, <laughs> you know, they get all, you know. <laughs> they get easy. They they want to they want to do what they do best. And the other, but I think the other group you can't you have to focus on a lot when you talk about who it affects the running backs. You can't. You, it oh. requires that you have the right running back who can yep. read the play properly, or that you have a stable of backs where you have one that does what you do well. But the problem right. with that is now you're giving yourself a tell. So you're yep. going to have one guy who runs power, one guy who runs zone. You know, so you, it either requires you have one extraordinarily intelligent running back who can do literally do everything, which is rare. Right. Ideally, right. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just it's easy as that. Just get Marshall. Um, so it's very <laughs> rare. Uh, or you're, what you're going to have is you're going to have a stable of backs that it's a towel, and then that's a different you know kind of situation. But it's it's fascinating to see the different the different ways you can appropriate offense into a concept like the pistol. So I mean, you can literally combine you know three or four different theories on how to move the football. So you can take Air Coriel concepts. You can move into you have some of the weirdest ones that don't necessarily connect, like and then add in West Coast, and then you add in you know run 
run pass option stuff, and it all can blend together because you can change the language to it all, keep the same formations you want to do. There's no extremes in it. And what I like the most is it doesn't necessarily force you to have to change personnel to do certain things. So you can keep the same personnel group on the field and accomplish your same ends. It doesn't require you to like – a lot of teams, for instance, can't run a lot of things. Yeah, they're like they can't run, say – oh, how's the way to put this? Like there are certain routes or whatever they want to do in the passing game that the best that they can only do is in the shotgun for whatever reason. Maybe they have a quarterback that doesn't read it well or – you know, spacing purposes or, or whatever. Or more often, they have a left tackle who can't hold up long enough for them to run. Yes. You know, that's because from from under center because he, your quarterback would be knocked unconscious before they could throw the ball. Yeah, and in this way, and this gives you another opportunity because as the quarterback, your eyes are already up. You're already seeing what the defense is doing, so you have a better understanding of how your left tackle is going to operate. And if he's not good, that ball can get out extra quick. So as opposed to if you're under center, your quarterback may not be able to see everything that they want to see while they're doing their drop, which I think is a big problem for young quarterbacks because, what, 90% of them are in shotgun over 75% of the time? I know that's probably, like, it's an obviously random, convoluted stat, but you get my point. Like, the vast majority of quarterbacks now are always in the shotgun. They have no yeah, idea. It's, it's, it's actually probably more than – it's like more than 90%, actually. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's unreal, like, how much you're seeing these guys down under center. And so now they come in. And I think, you know, uh, Isaiah and I were talking about this with something similar with Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson. And we were make, and I, we basically agreed that Adrian Peterson is holding Teddy Bridgewater back because Adrian Peterson wants to be in – single back personnel where he's running power or he wants to be with another back in the backfield with him running power out of power formation where Teddy Bridgewater is, he can play under center, but he's ideally most comfortable where he can overlook the field at all times, keep his eyes on it and pick and choose. And you can't have them both. Now, if you went pistol, you could combine them a little bit better, but you can't, it's really hard to have both of those things. Uh, but I at least think if you went to, like, a pistol formation, even for that offense, you'd be able to find a little bit more of a happy medium because you could kind of do some of the things that Teddy is very good at while keeping his head up as opposed to having to turn around and do his play action and everything else. And that is the challenge now with modern football offense. I mean, every team, every team in the league is – there's only two teams that are not over 55% pass. That means 30 out of 32 teams were over 55% pass. Two teams were between 50 and 55% pass, right? Uh, nobody is 50-50 anymore, and nobody is obviously below 50% pass. So it is a, you know, as Roger Worthy has told us 87 quadrillion times, it's a passing league. So when you ha- have a dominant running back, and let's be honest, that's what, you know, AD is. That is a dominant running back. He's a guy who, if you give it to him 25 times a game for a whole season, he's going to give you about 16 to 1,800 yards in, in, in rushing offense. He's a total I'd argue he's. I'd argue he's the only one left in the NFL. 
He's the you, only you could prove he's the only um, and you're probably right. Up. And you're probably right. Um, I think Todd Bell. Todd Bell is like a giant Marshall Falk. He's not really a 30, yard, 30 carries a game pound, pound, pound guy. Even though he's a big guy, not as big as you. He's a space guy. Right. Yeah. People, that's you, you give him a space guy, let him do Like, look what they do with Le'Veon Bell in the passing game. And the way they – because everything with Le'Veon Bell is put him in space. Get him with in a bad matchup where it's all open and you have a lot of green around him. Because even Le'Veon Bell, they love to run him out of the shotgun. They love to run him out of spread formation uh, because he's getting up against a leaner defense where he can, once he pops through, because he's got exceptional burst, and once he pops through, he's got a head of steam, and now he's able to plow through some smaller defenders. That's really where he does his best work is when he can, you know, get in the open field and just make one guy miss or something or just run right through him. Right. The ideal modern back for the way that offenses run now are guys like Le'Veon Bell, Ryan Matthews, um, uh, even Latavius Murray, to a certain extent, he should work on a few things, but he's the right kind of running back for nowadays. He could certainly, you know, improve as a pass protector. He could certainly improve as a pass receiver, but he's got the right components. Once again, he's got the stuff you look for. When you have Le'Veon Bell, if you have Ryan Matthews, and, you know, even like I said, with a guy like Latavius Murray, and obviously you don't have what you have in Adrian Peters. You don't. But you have some things Adrian Peterson doesn't have. As long as Adrian Peterson's been in the league, he still is not great at foot pickup. That is still one of the worst parts of his game. And he can catch the football, but he's not the same guy catching the ball that Levy Bell is, or Matt Forte is. He's not a beautiful, natural catcher of the football. He can catch the ball. I think it's more Jerk McKinnon's spot now to be that pass-catching back. Right. And McKinnon can do, actually, McKinnon can do everything. I mean, McKinnon is the wave of the future, and despite as great as Peterson is, who's, you know, probably my first ballot Hall of Famer, Jarek McKinnon sort of fits the bill better in terms of we talked about what Teddy brought, kind of, in, you know, things where Teddy would be in Teddy's element. The better back for that is actually Jarek McKinnon. Now, you just can't pull the trigger on that yet. You have to let AD be a little less dominant because otherwise people just lose their mind. Even though it makes logical football sense, if you just said, hey, you know, we've had a great time with you, you're an amazing player, but we need to move in a different direction, and you cut him, people would just go crazy. They'd set fire to things. There'd be babies sacrificed. I mean, it would be blood <laughs> would rain from the, from the sky. So you can't do that. But it would make football sense. Like, I, would, I wouldn't be outraged, but, you know, the people, the, the, the pitchforks, the firebrands, right, exactly, yes. I mean, they would, real you know, Vikings. Yeah, yes, they, they would. Right, exactly. It would be like watching real Vikings storming your village. Yes, exactly. They would, they would set fire. To, they would, right. They would sow salt in your farm, farms. I mean, it would just be awful. <laughs> it would be biblical, like frogs and locusts. So you can't do that. You've got to wait for him to, you know, I mean, like slow down or get hurt. Something has to happen. But it would, mm-hmm. but it would help Teddy to be able to now be unshackled in terms of what he's capable of doing as a quarterback. The other thing that they need to do is, hey, wide receivers. I mean, not that their wide receiver core is awful, 
But who's the well, guy? It's because they, they rely on too much on Adrian Peterson. They don't throw it as much. Yeah, well, that's right. That's part of it. But let's be honest. The throw who maybe terrifies you. Who terrifies you on the wide receiving group? Who's the guy that keeps you? He's uh, a very Stephon good player. He's a he's very good player, but he doesn't terrify you. He doesn't terrify you. Like Wallace, then gets the ball in space. He's a he's a he's a guy who is very good, and he's he'd be ideal as a number two to the guy they don't have. You see, that's that's what I'm sort of running, I'm sort of running toward. He'd be great if he were the number two to their number one that they don't have. So that's the other part of it. People talk about you know help you want to grow the Quantred well. well. right. You're, right. you're find, talking about find, a number two. Right. I'm sorry, find uh, Teddy. Find Teddy his Amari Cooper and watch him grow. I know this is the end of our time with Rory. Rory, uh, with the time we have left, where can people find and follow your work? Uh, as usual, at Holistic underscore Pickle on Twitter. Uh, also, JustBugMovie.com, Raiders blog. Uh, tomorrow or Friday, either one, one of the two, I'm not sure, one of those days. I will have my next set of contract previews. I'm doing uh, interior defense alignment. So that'll be fun. That'll be, you know, uh, Malik Jackson, Mohamed Wilkerson, that crew. Uh, for the other ones I've already done, cornerbacks, safeties. Uh, my last one was non-edge linebackers. That's, I couldn't figure out another way to define the term, to pick the term I wanted for it, because I couldn't just say, you know, like, outside linebackers, because then everyone's going to want to see 34 edge guys. It's like, no, I non-edge linebackers. Maybe say inside linebackers. That doesn't really fit either. So I came up with the, non-edge linebackers, but I'm not really... Term, <laughs> Rory, the term I'm sorry, I really like it. Rory, the term I've started using is pursuit linebacker. I don't know if that helps you. Feel Ooh. free to use it. Mm. It does, unless you're talking like a stack and shed guy. You know, like a big inside, strong inside line. Well, yeah. there's not a lot are, are of them, but... Right. Well, I mean, I use a different term for those guys. Yeah, I call those guys yeah. interior. But, I mean, for, see, for the that, outside linebacker who's not a 3-4. Like, right. Yeah, and that's where my thing was. Like, I was trying to combine outside linebackers and a 43 with 34 linebackers and a thir- you know, 34 inside linebackers. So it was like really Because uh, I'm trying to do 10 guys per contract preview and get a relatively similar position. So it was kind yeah, of a weird... I couldn't, you know, I don't know. I had to think, and that was literally the hang-up for me on that one, trying to come up with the right term. I just couldn't think of anything better. Uh, but, yeah, it was fun anyways. And uh, uh, I think, uh, hopefully my contract previews are pretty close. I'm usually pretty, my last last few of them I've done, like in other years, I, was, I did pretty well with them. So hopefully they're close. Uh, but I think it's going to be fun doing the linemen because those are going to be the market setters. You know, there's going to be some corners that do pretty well for themselves. Um Especially, you know what, oh, and I'll throw this out there, and I thought it was really weird, because uh, only because Isaiah and I have talked about this a couple times. I thought it was fascinating. I just heard from the Rams they're not planning on franchising Generous Jenkins or Truman Johnson, which I thought was weird. Um, so that's something to um, think about Isaiah, because we talked about that, and I thought that was crazy. He's not going to – yeah, I figured they would at least franchise one of them. Um, but, you know, they also have Rodney McLeod out there as well, so I don't know if they're going to – they have so many. They have like four defensive starters that are hitting for agency. But whatever. Yep. I'm rambling now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so my contract preview should be out either tomorrow or Friday. Uh, that'll be fun. Otherwise, uh, 
Yeah, hit me up on Twitter at holistic underscore pickle. We'll try to do this again with you, uh, Rory, possibly next week. Hope we can find. Yeah. Yeah, we'll shoot for next week, similar as usual. You know, similar time or whatever. We'll we'll shoot for next week. All right. Thank you, Rory. Uh, I'll let you go. All right. Take care. Bye, Rory. Thanks, Rory. Uh, I had brought up with one, Fred Will. If you look at what the Steelers' blueprint on their wide receivers, you have Antonio Brown, which is your complete receiver, and then you have Martavis Bryant as your number two, sort of your uh, speed high pointer and your speed. Yep. And I, I'm not saying Laquan could be your speed, but he can definitely be a red zone target. And you know the field stretcher. Well, and I here's 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 what I would say. If he goes to a team, and he probably will go to a team that doesn't have an X, I doesn't would, have a, a dominant, you know, split in. A I said the Rams. That's one of the teams. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a few teams. That you have Tavon Austin as your speed and your deep threat. You have a Quantred Well, you know, just do the dirty work over the middle and, you know, your red zone guy and you have um, let's see, Kenny Britt, you know, he could be your entire build stretch when you want to throw deep. Well, I would probably move Britt to the Z and have him be my mm-hmm. speed Z. I would move, you know, Austin around, line him up in the slot, in the backfield, you know, basically line him up every place you can, just look for bash-ups. And then another place would be well. But yeah, go ahead. Well, another place I found interesting in the same division, if you put him in San Francisco, I think uh, with Tory Smith, uh, you know, a bunch of other tests they have with them, I think with Anquan Bolden, you know, getting up there in age, he'd be the Anquan Bolden replacement. Right, so Quentin Patton would probably be the guy that would be kicked inside slot, and you'd probably what drop him play? in the... Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have then Trevor the X, then you'd move Troy Smith over to your speed Z. You know, so that would but be is... sort, of, I'm yeah, sort of an obvious one. I was just saying that'd be sort of an obvious, sort of old school, but effective way to handle that. This is why I don't like drafting wider speakers in the first round. Because essentially, they are, you know, feature-type draft picks, like how DeAndre Hopkins, I know he's turned out well, but if you happen to establish that, I don't see why you need to take another one in the first. There's plenty of depth within the draft. You build on what you need or, you know, a strength. Well, I mean, here's, here's what makes sense. You take a player who is truly dominant. That means he has all the physical things you look for checked off. He has the mental makeup, and he's been super productive. Treadwell has been productive, not super productive. He's been productive. Uh, he has – we don't know about all his physical traits, quite frankly. I mean, uh, his, his 40 time will be one of the most 
closely watched ones in a while because he still, to me, didn't look like he was all the way back physically in terms of having his deep speed from where he was prior to the injury, but we'll see. You know, if he runs in the low four or fives, it won't shock me. A lot of people think he's a blazer. Um, some people think he's slow. So we'll see. I think he's somewhere in between. Um, but I, was, I think he's I was, somewhere. Sorry. I was thinking, I was going to say, I think he's somewhere in that 448 to 446 would be sort of the best case. And then 452 to 454, by worst case. If you want to slower than 454, that's going to actually hurt him. I think most people expect him to be somewhere between that, between about 446 on the high side and 454 maybe on the, on the slow side. And if he falls in that range, it'll probably keep him, you know, maybe right around 10 to just after 10, you know, somewhere in that 10 to 15 range. And he could, if he runs really fast, obviously push himself, you know, not just in the top 10, maybe in the top five. What I would say about a guy like Treadwell, he's going to struggle at first. I mean, like many guys do, but he's not like Amari Cooper where he's going to be able to produce immediately. Um, Amari Cooper, one, had run a more complete tree in his time at Alabama than Treadwell has in his time at Ole Miss, and he's a much quicker athlete. I mean, there's no two ways around that. People always uh, – I mean, it's funny because people sometimes sometimes don't talk about Armari Cooper as an elite-level athlete. He's an elite-level athlete. He's extremely fast and extremely quick. And so when people say, you know, he's a great route runner, yeah, he's a really good route runner, but he's a super athlete. I don't understand why people don't realize how athletic Amari Cooper is. And I don't think Treadwell is that kind of athlete. Now, I could be wrong, and it'll be exciting to see if I am wrong because that will help him, but I don't think I am. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to test well, but not, you know, like a freak athlete, not super well. I was listening to Todd McShay's pod where they had him on. Uh, he was talking at stretches the moment of the year where he didn't know if, you know, he was going to play because that, uh, his injury was still bothering him, lingering throughout the year. Yep. And that's what it looks like to me on tape. It's just... Yeah. So the interesting <laughs> to see, like I said, just how far back he's come. I don't think he's 100% back from the, from the injury. Two places that I would love to see him in. Um, one is Buffalo. They're in the Sammy Watkins. You have Robert Woods in the slot. I mean, that would be a dream. But but it would be a, a poor use of that particular draft pick. They've got many more things they need to address. And in this kind of draft, they would be, they would be rightly criticized for that draft pick. I'll put it that way. When you think of the things that they, they legitimately need. They highly they trade it up. Well, I heard, I heard all the stuff you just said. Here's what I'm saying. They've got, they've got guys at wide receiver, mm-hmm. and one of whom is very good and a bunch of whom are, are good. I mean, they don't, they're not one of the teams that have these desperate, gaping hole at wide receiver. Now, I don't believe in drafting for need anyway, particularly when it comes to talent. You want to look at who's the most talented player where you're picking. They, here's what I'm saying. If they have a chance, to add Kevin Dodd, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. But instead they take 
I mean, for all the talk of, of Ryan, of, of, of Buddy Ryan, that was not a good defense. Let's not get it twisted. That was not a great defense. If they get a chance to get a really great cover corner or a great pressure defensive player, you know, a defensive lineman who can help their back half of their defense by getting consistent pressure, that's got to be the way they go. They're, they're, or even a safety. Right, or defense, basically. First of all, if you know anything about about Rob, not Rob, Ryan, uh, Rex Ryan. Well, they're both in the same you, team. Right, exactly. You know, if you know anything about either of them, you know they're going to want to stir up that defense early on. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they went back-to-back defense in rounds one and two. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. So I don't think – I don't see that as being a home for Laquan Treadwell. This is a very, very – Talent class, but I don't think it's that deep like it was the last two years. Well, once again, it depends. It depends on which position. It's not as deep at wide receiver as it was last year, mm-hmm. though it's a good wide receiver class. But it's deeper at several positions. The only position where it's much thinner than last year, to me at least, is tight end. Uh, the tight end <laughs> yeah. class is a That's place where you got some. You know, I mean, there's guys like Sean Price you can get day three and things like that. But for the most part, that's, you know, a pretty top-heavy position. If you really need to tight end, you probably need to go ahead and address that early on in the draft if you're going to address it in the draft. But the running back class is deep. The D-line class is deep. The offensive class is deep at certain spots on the line. Now, it's not deep all across the line, so it depends on what position you need on offensive line. But some of those. Some parts of the offensive line class are deep. Uh, the linebacker class, uh, people are just underestimating this linebacker class. I think it's actually a very good linebacker class, uh, both in terms of traditional linebackers and the three, four pass rusher types. Though what I will say is that there's some size issues in a bunch of those guys. So if you need a guy who's 250 some odd pounds and six foot four, as your edge guy, that guy is not that easy to find. There are productive edge rush types, but the the, the bigger 3-4 outside linebacker in the sort of Ron Earhart 3-4 vision of the defense, the Willie McGinnis type, the elephant guy, that guy is hard to find. But there's lots of other types of pass rushers that aren't hard to find in this class. So it's a good pass rusher class. It's just not you place to find the Willie McGinnis type and the zero technique, the like I said, the giant guy, the 340, 350 pound guy, that guy's hard to come by. Shelly, Justin Ellis, right? Hard to find Justin Ellis in the staff, hard to find Sam Adams in the staff. It's hard to find that guy in this class. And Pat Williams, that guy, those guys are hard to find in the staff. 350, 350 pound guys are, you know, sort of a dying breed in college football, quite frankly. So that guy's hard to find. But other than those things, it's mostly a deep class. It's a, it's like I said, it's a deeper running back class than last year's. It's a deeper quarterback class than last year's. It's a, uh, yeah. I mean, tight end is not good, but I mean, most of the other positions, it's deeper. The best place to find a tight end is you need a tight end. Just for you to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
the tight end class, my, my advice, if you're not going early, is to go with go the other direction. The super raw, you know, conversion guy who was playing linebacker until they moved him recently, or the super raw, talented, you know, a guy who was hurt a lot or whatever. I mean, Bo Sandlin is a, is a name that's going to probably pop up somewhere in the third, not third, sorry, third day, uh, not third round. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in the first 100 picks if one tight end went. But I think that after that, you might, you'll see a good little number of tight ends go between the fourth and the sixth. So, yeah, when it comes to that, there's not a lot of top uh, to the tight end class, not a lot of elite-level guys. Uh, like I said, the running back class is a really good one. There's going to be guys who are going to be NFL starters found, multiple NFL starters will be found every round of the draft at the running back position. There'll the next guys, two years in the running back class is going to be ridiculous. And well, <laughs> yes. Well, next year is going to be stupid, but this year's good. And, yeah, probably the year after that. But this year's good. Uh, like I said, it's a it's a pretty good year for everything, with the exception of a couple of parts of the offensive line, and you know the zero technique, and then like I said, the the obvious one is tight end. I mean, if you, if you need those things, you may want to look at, at free agency or like I said, developmental guys you might sign late and try to see what you can get out of them. But it's not a great place to attack early. Those positions are not great places to attack early. You talk. We talked about. You talked about the conversion or raw type of tight ends. For some reason, I'm very, very intrigued by the Jaguars with what they're doing with Neil Sterling. They're going to switch him to uh, that receiving type tight end. They're converting him into during this off season and slowly bringing him along. And that's what some people are going to do with some of the bigger, slower wide receivers, right? I mean, Niles Paul is now a tight end with Washington. <laughs> I mean, that's what you. Right, but that's what. Pe- but that's because people don't care as much about blocking at that position as they used to. You're going to see a lot of big, slow. I think that's what eventually is going to happen to guys like Devin Funches. I think eventually he's going to go back to being a tight end because as they de-emphasize the the blocking aspect of that position, the line between wide receiver and tight end is going to start to break down anyway. Quite frankly, so yes, I do believe we're going to see um, a lot of big, slow wide receiver types or slower wide receiver types are going to become tight ends. So that's the other way you're going to see people fill that position is they're going to draft a 6'5", 227-pound wide receiver who doesn't run terribly well and put 20 pounds on and boom, now he's tight end. One of, for me, one of the biggest question marks for me personally uh offensively is Tyler Boyd. There is that off-season issue, but I don't know where he fits. Well, to me, he's a guy that's right at the tail end of the first or early part of the second. I don't think he's going to be a dominant, you know, quote-unquote number one type receiver, but I could see him being a very good... I mean, some people are super excited about it, but how different is he really from a guy like Robert Woods? Mm-hmm. Not much. Not much. He's really not that different mm-hmm. from Robert Woods. And nobody was trying to push Robert Woods into the first round. I, to me, he's a good oh, solid. Oh, Bucky Brooks was. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, fine then. 
and I respect Robert. <laughs> and I liked Robert, and I liked Robert Woods just fine. But he he went right where he's supposed to. Robert Woods went exactly it went exactly his plan. Uh, he's in exactly the right situation. He got drafted in exactly the right place, and he's going to produce like a number two. And I think that's what Tyler Boyd's going to do as well. If you if you take him in the first, I'm going to say you're going to you know want to you know weep if you should do so, but you're getting a guy who's going to give you basically second-round production and is best suited to being a number two receiver. So that's a guy I, I wouldn't touch probably before, you know, like somewhere around pick number 40 or so where I think is a good fit for him. One so question. Like, when are you doing your uh, annual mock draft this year? Yeah, I am, I'm working on it. I mean, not literally at we speak, but I've been I've started work on it. I'm I'm doing a full seven rounder as I do every year, so it takes a while. But yeah, I mean, as I that's what helps me to sort of understand the depth of the draft is doing a seven rounder. It's it's very <laughs> instructive in that way. Well, that's, it does it helps you because it mm-hmm. makes you look at your position rankings and then see where these guys actually will be. How many guys are likely to go at their position ahead of them, and then look at what teams. Obviously, teams' needs are going to shift some because of free and things like that. But nonetheless, it gives you an idea. It starts helps you to really fill in the gaps in terms of what this draft is going to likely be like in terms of what position. And I think there's going to be a lot of deep in the backs drafted. There's going to be a lot of wide receivers drafted. That not quite as many last year, but a lot of them. And as I mentioned, a lot of these apples. There's a you know. Loads of teams need defensive tackles. It's the kind of position where you need depth because, you, especially with all the teams that do play tempo, you need to, when you do get a chance to substitute, you've got to get those guys out because they're usually just wiped. You know, I mean, once again, fighting double teams, you know, for a living is no fun. And you throw, you know, throw, to the, throw into that the fact that more and more teams are likely to go up tempo. Now you're, you know, fighting 632 pounds of dude over and over again, you know, with 11-second break or whatever, 12, 11-second break in between. Like, it's not like the old days was 30-something, 40 seconds break, you know, where you get to really catch your breath. If a team's coming at you, you know, running two plays within 17, 18 seconds, you know, yikes, now now that your tongue's hanging out of your mouth pretty quickly. So, so that's something you have to understand. The other thing a tempo does that makes you have to carry an extra couple of defensive players on your active roster because guys are going to wear out more quickly because of the tempo. If you're playing teams that do play up tempo and offense, it forces the other team to even change their roster a little bit. So now they can't keep that extra wide receiver or that extra whatever they normally might keep. Ben Bowler is still in school, right? I believe, yeah. No, I mean, there was never any discussion of him coming out. <laughs> it never even came up. I don't think he even requested a grade. I'm sorry. What was that? I don't think I don't think he even requested a grade, Isaiah. I think he's going to be special at the next level. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, he's certainly an instinctive cat. I mean, that's 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 always good. Um, he's sort of a poor man's, not even poor man, sort of a lower middle-class, working-class man's Tyler Medikevich to a certain extent. He's a guy that 
gets it done with instincts and toughness and things like that. There'll be some questions about his measurables and things like that. But hopefully, you know, maybe he'll test well and that will help him. This is a really good class of football players. I think there'll be a couple of freak athletes too, obviously. You know, I think Andrew Billings will do something special at the Combine and a couple of wide receivers will run crazy times. There's some pretty athletic running backs and, you know, pretty good class of, of D-backs in terms of athletic ability. But there's going to be a good number of guys who are going to test at maybe slightly above average to average as athletes are going to be really good football players. And so I think that's the other thing is we'll get a chance to see scouting philosophies from teams, which teams are, we'll figure out pretty quickly based on a draft like this, which teams are height, weight, speed. You know, because there are teams that are taking great players just flat off their boards. Like, they will literally say, you know, no matter where this guy is, we're not going to take him just because they, they don't believe in, you know, certain types of bodies. And some teams are that way. And you can tell. I think the master doing that. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a few teams that simply that's, you know, you have to be these things to play for us at this position. And then there's other teams like, say, Seattle, that clearly are, are very open-minded in terms of body type at a lot of positions. Uh, if you're big, you know, but you're a good enough athlete, or if you're smaller, I mean, they just, they're looking for guys who can contribute and play, no matter extent what you look like. You know, so that's another, it's a good chance. That's what, to me, the draft is important for two reasons. One is, you know, restocking of talent. The other thing is it gives you a chance to really see what teams think of themselves because teams draft based on what they think they are. I've been looking at mock draft central, uh, looking everywhere, finding where people Again, I do he's hearing from scouts that work for teams on who's who and what teams are interested in who. There is a lot of buzz with Atlanta and uh, my boy from Georgia. Uh, Jordan Jenkins? I'm not sure which 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 boy are we talking about now. <laughs> Not Jordan Jenkins, the other one. Leonard Floyd? Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of buzz with them, too. Well, he needs to win the weight. I mean, it's that simple. Um, if he's 226 pounds, no, no matter what he does as an athlete, he's probably going to have a very good day at the office athletically, but if he's really small, that's going to mean that teams will either have to use him, you know, on a pitch count as a, you know, sort of a specialist designated pass rusher type or, you know, as a traditional, you know, fourth three outside linebacker where he's playing will perhaps or things like that. I think they're, they are trying to find a speed rush because um, they have been having trouble against the quarterback, which hasn't, hasn't been anything new for years. Um, I think, if they were to get him, pair him with Vic Beasley opposite ends, I think they were to get an interior pressure or exterior pressure um, and sort of force the pocket open. 
Well, that's one philosophy, but that, now they have two underpowered pass rushers, which means <laughs> against teams that do have tackles, they're going to get stoned all day long, just like Beasley mostly did last year. I mean, that's the thing you have to remember is that against the, the top, top level, and obviously there's, only a, there's not a team, there's not a lot of teams that have two really good outside um, tackles. I mean, two really good, you know, really good left tackle, really good right tackle. You're hoping to find at least one weakness there. But against the teams that do have both, you know, really good, two really good tackles, they're going to just flat out struggle against those teams because those guys are not powerful. They don't make great use of of bull rush or their hands or things like that. They're basically guys who just run around you. It's just fascinating on what moves, you know, can dictate the draft, whether it moves from a week from now, whether it moves in free agency. It changes the entire landscape of the NFL. Yeah, so that's going to be one of the interesting storylines in the draft. It's going to be, your, as you said, your boy, uh, because just how, you know, how big or small or whatever is he, that's going to be a, a big thing because there are teams that will simply, you know, scratch him off the board. If you're a 314 and, you know, you were looking at him as a 3 4 outside linebacker, if he's not 230 pounds, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. No more need to discuss. Uh, In your honest opinion, is Ezekiel Elliott a for sure first round pick? I think for sure is probably too strong a word, but I think it's very likely that he's a first rounder. He probably goes somewhere between 16 and 22. Somewhere in there. A lot of people have been mocking him to the Colts, you know, which isn't the craziest thing in the world. Uh, because so they go offense every year. <laughs> right, because they go offense every year, right. Um, so it's not the craziest thing in the world. I, I think they, even if they aren't his home, somebody probably not too far from that pick probably will give him a home. He's the kind of guy that, I mean, you know, obviously there's something, you know, something crazy happens, you know, if he does a bad test or he, interviews terribly or, you know, runs four six. I mean, there's things that could certainly knock him out of the first, but if all things go as planned, he probably is a mid-first rounder, mid to late. I think he is, like, in the late 20s. Or early to late twenties, I think a team like Houston. Um, I think a team like possibly, I would have said New England, but they don't have a first round pick. Uh, they do not. I mean, they could trade back into the first. That's something that I mean, Belichick's not afraid to move all around the board. Obviously, so if there's a guy he really wants, he'll go get him. Now, they've stayed away from drafting running backs early since the Lawrence Maroney experience, though. Well, he should never have been a first-round draft pick. Yeah, well, I know what you're saying. I'm just pointing out 
you know, they have they haven't drafted a running back in the first round since. Is all I would say. But I don't think they really want to. I think they're going to stick with their Laguerre Blunt thing, re-sign him, and they're going to stick with him and uh, and hope that Deion Lewis comes back healthy. Obviously. Deion Lewis, who they signed to an extension during the year. Now that Marshawn Lynch has hung up the cleats, we talked about Thomas Rolls last time. I think if we if he can find if they can find a compliment to him in the draft or undrafted, because I think they're done with Bryce Brown. Um, I don't know if they're done with Fred Jackson necessarily. He's their sort of passing down guy. Well, no matter what happens with Fred Jackson, they're going to draft at least one running back. Or sign an undrafted. Yeah, well, probably both. They'll probably draft at least one running back, and they undoubtedly will sign more than one undrafted, you know, uh, running back. They usually bring in a couple of running backs to camp every year. You know, they are one of the few teams like, that is serious about the running game, as you pointed out. So, you know, they ran the ball about. 47 point something, 46 point something, yeah, like 46.8 or something percent of the time, which is one of the top percentages still in the NFL. I think um, if a team like if a team like uh, Green Bay were to uh, move sort of away from Eddie Lacy a little bit and bring in a guy like Matt Forte. I think um, it would be a more of a beneficiary to Aaron Rodgers. He's a better pass protector. He's a better uh, catcher than what Eddie Lacy is. Uh, sort of that two-hitter monster, uh, James Stark is, is a free agent. But they wouldn't have drafted a running back, but it probably won't be in the first couple of rounds. If I think if Jonathan Franklin never had that severe neck injury, I think And yeah, that that, that hurts them because that was gonna be their two headed monster. It's gonna be And Jonathan know. Franklin, I loved him coming out of UCLA. It it was a it was sad to see. Yeah, it was, it was very disappointing, and it really affected the plans that they were going to have in Green Bay of Franklin being the guy's going to catch the ball and, you know, get a lot of the carries in certain parts of the field with Eddie Lacy being the guy who's going to bang it up in there, short yardage, goal line, you know, get him, get him the ball in certain situations. The plan was not to have him be the bell cow back. And it just was unfortunate because then they had to stick to James Starks as the secondary, which he is he's a more than capable backup, but you're always wanting a little more. Well, Starks is a really good running back, and... The only reason he's not a thousand yard rusher is he doesn't get the ball back. 
Uh, he's a guy who's got good power, pretty good quickness, decent long speed. I mean, he's not elite at anything, but he's good at everything. And what I would say is that I would not be shocked if I mean, Lacey will probably have a bounce back, but if he has the same sort of problem with weight and holding on to the football and all this stuff, they would go away from Lacey in a second and, you know, let Starks be the guy at running back. Now, they, I, I know. still think they're going to draft, like I said, a running back or two, uh, or at least draft one running back and then bring, you know, sign an undrafted free agent. I know it's out of character for the Packers, but I do think C.J. Spiller will be released. I think that would be a perfect fit if so, but it's very unlikely with how Granby runs their operation. Um, it's just Green Bay's been looking for that number two. They tried with Duan uh, Harris, who played like the first rounder when he was the starter. Like He looked like the part. He played extremely well. He's powerful and quick. He's a little smaller than teams tend to like. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a but he poor proved it when he went from team to team this year. Yep. He's like a poor man's where he still drew. You know, a, a power back, though he's a small power back. And, you know, teams don't like that. I don't think, I don't think they, they like small guys who run, you know, through people for a living. But he's very quick. He's got a really good second gear. Catches the ball reasonably well. Obviously, could improve a little bit and blitz pick up and things like that, but he could be a starter in this league. I know, and I was like, I was surprised that he was, he got cut by the Vikings after preseason. Uh, he didn't find a job until he caught on with uh, the Niners and then, or not the Niners, but the Seahawks, I believe, and then he moved from there to the Ravens practice squad, and then from the Ravens practice squad, uh, he filled in on week 17 for the Niners. I just think if he had an opportunity, you know, let him take it. If he was on a team like Dallas, I think they wouldn't be as bad as they were in the beginning of the year. I'm not taking anything from Jeremy Spadden, but the whole Joseph Randall thing, hmm. I think Dewan Harris would have been a better fit. Better player and a better person, yes. <laughs> he doesn't steal underwear from the store. <laughs> no, he does not. That we know of. And uh, higher character guy, I mean, that's the thing that killed me about Joseph Randall. You know, Randall was there taking shots after, you know, his teammate, you know, I guess ex-teammate, but led the league in rushing. Instead of saying, you know, what a great year, and, you know, DeMarco was amazing, and I'm just going to try to do what I can. He left a little bit more meat on the bone. Like, what? Come on, son. (laughs) You better, you might want to do something first before you start saying you're about to outdo DeMarco because of all that extra meat that was left. Yeah, you got to watch what you say in those situations. I think Lance Dunbar, if he was, didn't get hurt, I think oh. 
I'm a huge Lance Dunbar fan. So am I. I was hoping, because nobody was talking about him possibly taking that job. I thought if he was healthy, he would have had that job and ran with it. He's a home run Dunbar. Home run here with Dun- good hands. <laughs> I mean, and his first game of the year, he had over 90 yards, uh, but they only used him in passing situations. But on yeah. after, I think it was the second to last play of the game, he tore his ACL. Yep, that is correct. <clears throat> no, I've been a fan of his for, well, I mean, since he's at North Texas. I've been talking about him since his junior year at North Texas. I think he's going to be a star, a former member of my all-underappreciated team. He he needs to work, once again, like so many young backs work on some things, you know, blitz pick up, and he catches the ball fairly well, and he's blazing fast, one of the fastest running backs in the league. So hopefully he'll come back 100% from the injury and still have all that great speed. And while I wouldn't say he should be given 25 carries a day, a game, whatever. I, I do think he should get ten to fifteen, and um, ten to twelve. But that works. yeah, somewhere in that range. I mean, his total touches uh, probably shouldn't exceed twenty. But if he, he if he gets twenty total touches, he's going to give you one hundred and forty yards between rushing and receiving, and he'll give it to you pretty much every week if he's healthy. So I hope that he gets a chance to show people what he can do, and they can stay healthy this year. Because to me, there's no doubt in my mind that he would have eventually won the job had he stayed healthy. Because he, he gives you everything all the other backs give you, but a little more. more. A little more, exactly. He's way faster than Randall and a little faster even than McFadden. The McFadden's held his speed fairly well for a man of his age, you know, running back age. I mean, he's not an old man by his imagination either, but old for an infant running back. I just think that. It's, I mean, as a, even as a, like a sort of a one-two punch, I think those guys have been super effective. So hopefully he'll get to come back healthy. But he's a free agent. I don't know if he gets to stay. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter where he goes. That means <laughs> if, whoever he goes, I hope he gets a chance to show what he can do, like I said, and, and comes back healthy. I, I'll take him in Pittsburgh. That was a change of pace I bet back. you would. I would in a heartbeat. It's gonna be, it would be really hard to find him a role with D'Angelo Williams behind Le'Veon Bell. It, would, it wouldn't be that hard, in my mind. I think that he would be... D'Angelo is essentially going to be the guy, in my mind, that would spare, spell Bell. And to me, you would have... Once again, you still get him the touches. He, he's a guy that you would occasionally have, and you know, maybe do some two-back situations. You could flex him out. And though he's not an amazing receiver of the ball, he catches the ball well enough that you could throw the ball to him out of the backfield, um, do those little touch pass things, you know, chest pass things where he comes on an orbit kind of, uh, you know, orbit motion or, you know, yeah, get him, you know, some carries, some good old-fashioned high-formation carries mixed in there for fun uh, because he can bust that. I mean, he may never get, as you said, more than that you know, slightly over double-digit number of carries in his, ever in his career. But if he gets eight years' worth of, you know, that number of carries, he's going to end up with probably 20 carries of 30-plus yards in his career because he is truly a home runner. 
I, I, I think that particularly, in a, you know, you got sort of beaten on a team all day long with Le'Veon Bell and a little bit with D'Angelo, and then late in the game, you know, a team's kind of wearing down and, you know, seven minutes to go in the game and you're up by three or four, whatever. You do one of those little, uh, you know, that little orbit fleet, you know, where, like I said, a little chest pass, you know, where you have one guy, you know, takes, like, mm-hmm. offset. He's like an offset eye, and then he goes out in motion like he's going to be able to play wide receiver, and then he times it up so he's, you know, going right across the face of the quarterback. And the ball is snapped. You touch pass it into him. If you get two good blocks, he could be gone every time you run that. I think you know, so, yeah. I think that if certain teams were to cut certain backs, preferably the Giants, I think Andre Williams is free agent or they just cut him to get rid of possibly uh, either Rashad Jennings or Shane Vereen. You know, huh. this would add to the market where they can find their own gigs. Uh, like Lance oh, Dunbar might have, but I think he's a far better back than those two guys. More complete of a player. Right. Some guys that you feel on that were are underrated like that. I've been talking about a kid in San Francisco, Sean Drone. He's finally got an opportunity. He's hitting the market again. He was signed to a one-year deal. But if he got into the right spot, he'd come to change of pace, you know, red formation. You know, he could be out wide. He's not a t- the terribly fast that he was coming into the league, but still pretty fast. Um, I would say average instincts, but I think I think he could get by just fine if, well, if he found the right fit. Well. This is a, you mentioned Vereen. It's an interesting name. Uh, I got a chance to see him, obviously, in person a little bit, um, training camp and as a player. He's still a, a raw athlete trying to learn to play one of the more mentally demanding positions, the most mentally demanding positions of the, you know, those in the secondary and close to middle linebacker in terms of the complexity of what you're expected to do. Combining the mental and physical challenges. So, yeah, I mean, Vereen is a guy that, even if you give him as sort of a quote unquote veteran free agent, I think he needs a lot of coaching. It'll take a lot of time, but he could potentially become a really good player down the road. Um, I think a lot of the big quote unquote big name free agents are going to stay home. I think some of them won't leave their current situation, even though they may have some things about it partially. I don't think, I don't know, we'll see. I don't know if it's going to be a big flurry. I mean, it'll be a flurry, I guess, but, yeah, but to me, this feels like a good time to sort of keep your powder dry, um, snatch up a few guys when the fee prints over, the prices come down, and then devote most of your to the draft. That's what, you know, once again, unless your team's 
a contender that's one or two plays away, which is not most teams. <laughs> Uh, there's a handful of teams that would have fit into that that category, but most teams really just you know make sure they add to the total talent level of the roster. You know, and so you know, Marine. That's an interesting name. Just sort of to hear. If you went to Tennessee, I think that would help Tennessee a lot. But again, you'd have to have the primary back in place, in which I don't think they have one. He's kind of a bishop sankey, but a little better in the passing game. Yeah, Marine's an interesting name. Um, he and his brother, uh, Safety, are um, are both athletic guys. They're both really good at uh, stop, start, and explosiveness, and things like that. So he doesn't need a lot of stained blocks. You know, you don't need to be the you know nineteen ninety two. Cowboys, you know, in order to win with a guy like him, because you know, you know, he can he can find yards even when things aren't blocked up perfectly. And he catches the like I said, he's like all those cow running backs, man. He's mode or uh, uh, I guess JJ Arrington would be sort of the exception. But most of those uh, cow running backs in the past several years have been complete guys who could catch the ball and block and carry the ball and really good vision and instincts and things like that. So generally the past several years, you know, those guys are guys you can find there. And there's other places as well. But sort of just looking at the you know the I mean the running back class is a good one. And so teams that if a guy is asking you for, you know, something that's way outside of what you think his value to the team might be. This is a good year to be a buyer rather than a seller, to me at least, at the at the running back position show about free agency. Uh, to me, the, the real demands will be guys who can rush the passer and guys who can protect. You know, the, uh, a good amount of demand for the you know, veteran backup types, the guys who have three or four good years left of them, high football IQ, and if you did draft a young quarterback or whatever, um, would be cool with helping you to develop them, sharing insights and all that good stuff. You know, so that's sort of how I see a lot of the, you know, the whole position groupings break up, break down, whatever term you want to use. And if you really So we talked about the position where you really can't address them or, or be difficult to address them in this draft. But for the most part, you can address pretty much any team with a couple of exceptions, any team's needs in this draft. And I think there's going to be, like I said, really good players throughout the entirety of the draft. So that's, you know, sort of some of my read. Like I said, Brain is a good player. And he's, I mean, essentially he's best suited. Unfortunately, they've got Deion Lewis, but if they didn't already have Deion Lewis coming back from injury, he would be a perfect projection to send him to a team like, you know, the Patriots. But unfortunately, uh, that's exactly. What's the situation here? I have been looking through some of my uh, game films. For some reason, Alex Collins 
reminds me of one of the real running backs from this past year's draft, Matt Jones. I think there's a similar skill set, but I think Matt Jones, there's a little more to him in the past game. Uh, Alex Collins, I think, sort of has that Mary and Barber a little bit to him. Not necessarily a full, sort of a mixture between a Matt Jones and Mary and Barber. He's very intriguing. I think he can be in every down bat, almost. He just needs to work on it. I'm sorry. Uh, say the last part of that again. I'm sorry? What was the last part of that you said? Oh, I just said if he he has to work on a few more things, I think he can be in every down bat. Oh, right. I mean... While there's very few, you know, as I said, Marshall Fox in the world doesn't allude to everything, there are a lot of guys who can be every down backs. I mean, Marshall Fox uh, was a guy that, when he first went to college, you know, was very versatile, but didn't know how to do everything. You know, he didn't know that much about protections. He wasn't, he became really good at blitz pickup. He could do everything else pretty much. He could catch the ball like a wide receiver, even in high school. His high school tape is pretty extraordinary. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously he was a finished runner from probably the age of eight or whatever when he first started playing football. But he developed the other stuff while he was at San Diego State. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is a guy that wasn't a great all-around back until really his junior year. He began to – now he also got kind of heavy his junior year, so he didn't show great explosiveness. But he showed you all the other stuff, you know, by his junior year at, at Michigan State. Uh there's a fair number of guys. You know, Latavius Murray is a guy who I think has potential to get there. There's a few other guys, young backs, who I think could become every down backs. And obviously, like I said, it's a good draft. Would Silas Red fit that profile? I think Silas Red's going to be a committee guy his entire career. You know, partially due to the fact that he's not the most durable and, and some other things as well. I've been struggling on finding a place for Derek Henry and for him to be placed at. You have to find the perfect fit. I think the perfect fit would have been um, in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan, but they've gotten two, they have two guys there for him. Um, right. And both of them wondered, are pr- really productive. Coleman, when, when he was called upon, was productive. I mean, they have, they have got a really good situation. I mean, they're deep, and they're, you know, going to be deep there for years to come. Yeah, so that's, yeah, they're full up. I thought Denver, but if they bring back C.J. Anderson, then what's really the point? A team like well, Dallas, I thought. But there's too much of that dink and dunk. There's not enough touches to go for Derrick Henry. It's just really... Oh, well, no, they're not a good fit for Derrick Henry, no. I mean, <laughs> uh, 
there's a few teams, you know, that, that I mean, Tennessee, right? That's a good fit. Kansas City? Uh, Kansas City is a decent fit. I mean, but Jamal Charles is going to obviously eat up the vet. Look at the teams that struggled to find production at the running back position. Those plays that make sense. The Browns, Tennessee. the Titans, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Ravens. Ravens, of course. I mean, that's the obvious one because Ozzy loves Bama guys, and they would like to be able to run the football better. Detroit, but they have Amir Abdullah. Well, I mean, Amir Abdullah and he are guys you could you could have both guys. <laughs> They're very different types of running back, so you could have Amir Abdullah on the roster and still get a go after a guy like Henry. New York Giants, but they that's basically bring in another Andre Williams. He's not going to do much yeah. of the game. He's more of a hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's a great fit there anyway in what they tend to do in the running game. I thought the Chargers who struggled running the football, but... I don't think the Chargers are going to take another yeah. running back early in the draft. That's uh, I think there's my probably... Yeah. No, because they're all about Latavius Murray and Hope. Yeah, they should be. Right, and they should be. He's about to, I mean, I guess he's had his breakout season, but he's going to follow up with an equally strong, if not stronger, year tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow, uh, next year, 2016-17 season, I think you could have a really good run. I thought Tampa, if Doug Martin goes, I thought Patriots, if they let LeGarrette Blount go, about the Jets if they let Chris Ivory go. It's a bunch of ifs. And the Browns no. don't need any more running backs. Or it's confusing no. as it is. Now, the Dolphins, Miller walks. You have him and Ajayi. Um, Buffalo, possibly, but they have a stable guy. But Rex Ryan likes to have that hammer in the running game. The Colts, they don't need to focus on offense, but that could be a he plays, but it wouldn't be necessarily a great fit. He, he had a good O-line, and if he doesn't have a good O-line, I don't think he's going to do much. Jags, struggled, but that's only when T.J. Yeldon was hurt. Yeah, I guess they could try to have a little reunion, but I, I think the number of carry right, but I think the number of carries that a guy like Henry will need, only a few teams will be able to find, you know, Chicago. that number of carries. But Chicago is probably love. not a great fit because, right, Langford is not a good Right. Did he even carry they like now? So, and uh, they have another guy. I can't remember. I can't think. But yes, they have a staple. You put them with the Niners. Basically, you already have two of two similar players already with Hyde. Hyde's a lot more different, really different from them but they sort of give you that physical presence in the running game. Rams, they have Todd Gurley, and 
soon to be just Benning Cunningham. I do believe my, uh, what I hear and what I, who I talk to about dreamers. And, uh, Cardinals don't need any more running backs early at all, possibly late in the draft. Thanks. I think they're fine. Panthers. That seems intriguing spot for him. But it may not be. So it's really hard for me to find a particular spot for him with his skill set. And you got to look at who else would be on that team. You know, he'd be competing with. Yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, a lot of value to be had. and Not many teams place first-round grades on running backs nowadays. That's the exception, not the rule. You you need to, to be drafted nowadays as a first-round running back. You need to be positively, you know, like I said, unstoppable killing machine kind of guy. It was just disruptive and instinctive and all of the good ifs, but it's been difficult David to find. David Wilson extinctive? Oh, wow. David Wilson. Um, well, David Wilson was forced... Yeah, David Wilson was forced to retire off, as, as we both I know. know. I was so, asking that. You're talking about if he, to be a first-round running back. I mean, he was a lot like Tiki. It's funny. I mean, it's funny when you look at his running style and his body and everything, just how much he was like Tiki. Um... I don't know if he's even, you know, still connecting with the game at this point. A lot of the guys, particularly guys who are hearing or sight or whatever, impaired. Well, Jonathan Franklin's in the front office for Green Bay. Yep. Uh, which is good for him. We found another. Well, and places they they, they often find places. I mean, how many teams? Have that number of ex players in their in their front office or in their whatever you want to call it their whatever the, the nerve you know sort of the cell nerve cell or whatever it is the middle of it all. This is why the draft is really exciting. There's uh, a lot of things that can be moved around, either free agency. Uh, there's a whole combine thing where they shoot people up and put people down. It's just a fun experience, you know, to watch and see in the pool. I was talking with Rory. I've been was looking for a secondary tight end for the Cardinals. I thought Mercedes Lewis, you know, he can block. You know, he can be a decent option in the receiving game. But Bruce Arians loved his tight end to be more blocking, more block, more similar to time blocking than anything. So I was thinking him, Vernon Davis, possibly. 
a thinking a Dwayne Allen, but I don't think I don't know about his blocking skills. You there, Bill? Yeah, I was having a little trouble hearing you, but yes, I'm here. Did you get any of the guys I put, or I said, like is it Cardinal possibly a Vernon Davis or Mercedes Lewis or Dwayne Allen that I wasn't sure about his blocking skills? Yeah, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, here's here's what it really takes to be a really successful NFL running back. Even if you are tight end now. Oh, okay. Well, at the tight end position, they only care about one thing, really, nowadays, and seriously one thing. You know, getting, get open and catch the football. If you can get open consistently and catch the football consistently, it'll be a job I was looking for, for a lot of years. I was looking for a fit for my Cardinals who don't like to feature a tight end in the receiving game. Well, but, assuming they don't go in the first round, and I'm assuming they wouldn't, if they're looking in the second round. Hunter Henry, wow. I don't know about his blocking. Um, the guy at, out of Stanford. It's just the setting class. It gives me a headache. Tom Bruce Aarons, I'm like trying, trying to go all out either for Mercedes Lewis or Brendan Davis. Get your blockers and you can occasionally help you out in the receiving game. Yeah, so I think there will be three or four really successful tight ends in this draft and a couple more reserves. But, yeah, there's not going to be a single guy that's going to come out and, you know, like I said, do what guys like Rodinkowski or some of the guys did because I think they're finally being reminded how rare those guys are. You know, there they, are only so many in the world, and for some reason they congregated in, you know, in some of them in the same area. But, yeah, I don't think he's going to be reasonable anytime soon. Are are we close to another draft where we get to see a Zach Ertz type or a, a Tyler Eifert anytime soon coming in the upcoming drafts? Is there that those two kind of players? Well, here's the thing. There are, as you talked about, you know, plenty of guys available at almost every position with a couple of exceptions. Uh, as you mentioned, the tight end, you know, there's just a couple of guys in that perception is a huge drop-off. I think there's a drop-off. Maybe not quite as big as we think. But that's going to be a challenge for the teams that do feel the big one. Um, so we're going to see some of that. And how much money does a particular team have tied up in a position, right? I mean, we, one of the first things you have to do really take a look at the actual structure in terms of compensation. And that will help you also figure certain things about how how to have, you know, so that's 
important just to sort of see how guys are stacking up in the free agency and things like that. We'll answer some of those questions. I'm reading Dennis Pitta has decided to retire. I don't know if that's going to be a big news or not. Well, I mean, I'm not shocked. Uh, another guy. Two major hip injuries. Yep, he's had injuries. He's been around the block a few times, but, you know, going to move on to the next phase of the The Ravens really missed him this year. Yeah. Well, they're missing yeah. talent at all at all positions on offense. Is Jeff? I think it's Huerman, uh, who was drafted by the Broncos last year. Is he going to be a guy in the NFL? after coming off a torn ACL? Um, I think the only fullback likely to draft this year is Quavon Hicks, Georgia. Oh, I was talking about the Broncos tight end they drafted a year ago. The fewer men, yeah, what, I think his name is. Yeah, Ohio. no, but what if... You mean... Oh, yeah, uh, you're talking about Virgil Green, aren't you? No, wait. That was no, 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 no. Uh, hold on, that. Uh, let me think. Uh, the Julius Thomas, who's moved on, Virgil Green, they still have. Uh, I'm trying to think who else they had. Ohio time. State. Oh, you're talking about. Yeah, um, they've got sort of the same guy as Vanette, they're only a little bit smaller. Yeah, you're talking about. Uh, God, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, oh, Jake, not Jake. Jeff Hewerman. Uh, yes, that's right, Jeff Hewerman. Hireman, I guess, is actually pronounced, but yes. Can he be a guy in this league? I mean, I think Jeff Hireman's going to be a move tight end. You know, uh, I mean, he's a, an undersized guy, and you know, he's going to do what he does, but he's never going to be, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a main, you know, starter at the position. I think Martellus Bennett announced his retirement, I think. Uh, really? Well, by looking at one of his tweets, I don't know how to go from it. Uh, I mean, it's not impossible, but I, I, I'll be, I'd be surprised. Wait a couple days, I believe. Oh, it, he's tweeted, "It was fun and thanks for the good times." What do you, what would you take out of that? Uh, that he's being released. <laughs> That's what that means. Yeah, that's not. He's a cap casualty. That's what that means. Well, there hasn't been an official <laughs> announcement of him either being released or. Uh, he it, and he followed that up. It was such a 
well-written adventure story with excellence. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, he may he may indeed retire, but I think that's I think that he's had the meeting today with uh, with Ryan Pace, and I think Pace told him that we're not bringing you back next year. I think that's what that's about. I think he several he's a several really veterans. Good yeah, yes, several veterans over the past few days have had meetings with Ryan Pace and have been told they won't be brought back. Some of them went public with their reactions, and some of them have not. Martellus Bennett has apparently gone public with this. Yeah, yeah this team's about to get younger. Now, that I could have told you. <laughs> That's not a surprise. Where would he fit if, if he is truly is released? Where would well, there's lots of there's lots landing. of there's lots lots of places. Uh, Denver, um, you know, he mentioned them recently. Green Bay, sure. Then bring in free agents, sure. Why uh, not? Atlanta. Uh, yes, that's another good fit. For, I mean, there's a lot of places where he fit. Um, um, he would be Norland. a good fit. In, yeah, that's one of them. Um, I mean, there's a lot of places. I mean, it's almost. Easier to say the Rams. where he fit. Yes, Pittsburgh. I mean, there's a long list of places. <laughs> like I said, it's easier to name the places where he wouldn't fit. He would fit most teams. I think the Giants would probably be wise to bring him back to the team. As I just mentioned, there's only a handful <laughs> of places where he wouldn't fit. There's only a handful of places where he would not be a good fit. He would fit most teams. Bring him to Houston. They could use it, especially with the quarterback. There's been a lot of movement. Uh, are these guys really feeling their physicals, or is it the team basically failed it for them, I guess? Um, well, <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Different way to put it. The answer is yes to both. German Bushrod was, I sort of thought, was sort of surprising. He played well for him when he was there and when he was on the field, but he he's played almost every game since he's been there. Mm-hmm. And he's Team fought like, through injuries. Yeah. If Minnesota brought him in and got rid of Phil, uh, something, I think it's Lude Holt or something like that, if they put him yeah. at right tackle, I think that would help Matt Khalil on the other side, or you flip him. Well, um, I don't know if you if you Kelsey I mean, Beecham Bushrod, will not be resigned, according to <laughs> as well he as well he <laughs> should not be. He is not good. He could possibly be a guard in, in this league. He could be a guard, or he could be a swing tackle, but he should not start a tackle. In fact, he could be a 
you know, guard and a backup. I mean, he could probably back up, you know, four positions on a team potentially, you know, left and right guard and, you know, obviously you don't want him at left tackle, but right tackle and I guess left tackle in a terrible emergency. I wonder emergency. if he's able to play center, uh, but you really have to have, you know, um, the knowledge of the position or else their quarterback is kind of screwed. Yeah, that's more a mental than a physical position, so you would <laughs> well, have to... physical, any... too, because you're facing those well, most tasks. Oh, yeah, I mean both, but it's more mental than it is physical. There are loads of guys who've been really good centers who were below average in every measurable way physically. Matt Paradis. Jeff Saturday. Paradis is one example, but Matt, Jeff Saturday is a great example of a guy who was below average in everything you can measure, but way above average in what was three years. Bill, I think it, we're getting close to wrapping things up. Um, what are some things you were working on? Sure. I am working on, I'm reworking my Hall of Fame article because um, some guys who, you know, like Kevin Green, who I used to write about, um, not get, not being in or now in, so he'll be going off of my why are these guys not in the Hall of Fame list and he'll be replaced by somebody like Tommy Nobis or Chuck Howley or whatever. I'll move some people around and I'll re- some, you know, relaunch that piece. I guess I'll rework that piece every year based on who gets <laughs> in. Um, working on my top 200 prospects Probably ready to drop that pretty soon. Working on putting the finishing touches on my my safety piece, uh, unsafe in the NFL, about the crisis of the safety position. Uh, so those are the, probably the nut, the top three things I'm working on. Yes, in Friday's show we are having Dan Hatton, right? Um, we or should be. At least I, 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 he has. Yeah, he hasn't been confirmed as of yet, but I'll, he's getting an email tonight, so hopefully I'll let you know when I get a response. Also, Ted Sunquist uh, might well be joining us as well. He's indicated he's interested. He just has to check some things in his schedule. Are you sending an email out to Kenneth Arthur? Uh, um, I hadn't planned to, but I guess I could. Me and him have had our issues. But we'll get through. Ugh. It gets heated when you talk draft. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and you argue for your players and why. He's a Seahawks fan. Hard to get mm-hmm. through to them. Well, I mean, like I said, that my focus, especially this early on in the process, I'm not trying to talk anybody into or out of anything. I'm just looking at the scenarios that mm-hmm. make sense and, once again, looking at the value of the draft. And I'm sure some teams will do foolish things, but I don't advocate or think that way. I don't think, well, this team's going to do this silly thing. I mean, some teams do silly things. I mean, I, you know, hey, Philip Dorsett, who is a solid early second-round player, you know, went in the first, for whatever reason, to, uh, to a team that had lots of wide receivers. 
So there will be some things that will happen. People always yell at you when you, you know, project certain things. <laughs> why would they? Why would they do that? They were got little yeah, okay, blah, blah, blah. So teams is you know do sometimes do very strange things. But yeah, so I'll be work, working on oh right mocks right and working on a mock too. Yeah. So I got that. Almost forgot. Um, so it's gonna take a while because it's a seven rounder. But at some point I'll have a seven round mock to put out there for people as well. And uh, possibly next week I'm gonna have a second co-host. Uh, officially joined this show. Uh, he used to have his own show uh, about the Jags along, like, 2011. He's been on hiatus. I invited him, and he's going to start co-hosting. Oh, okay. Uh, Twitter handle is JWDrid. Okay. <sighs> So hopefully we can get this started next Tuesday. Trying to get Julius Thomas and possibly uh, Olimbal Joseph. I'm like, how do you get those kind of players in one show? Well, you probably don't, but... uh, I think you you probably did. I think you Oh, oh yeah. Oh, well, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you hustle. That was before you they know. made the NFL. Well, obviously, right, right, right. That's part of it. But yeah, you hustle. I mean, you know, you establish relationships with agents or people who do combine prep or whatever, and you work your contacts. You, I mean, that's like anything else you want to do in life. You start preparing. You know, like it's like winning a game. You don't get up the day of the game and figure out how to win the game. You you plan for weeks to figure out how to win the game. Same thing with booking. You know, you can't just wake up the day before. You've got to start strategizing and planning, you know, like I said, days or months, weeks in advance. But those are guys I really liked. And their schools were aware that I'd written about them. Um, you know, I'd had you know, like I said, all all underappreciated teams for years now. And, you know, when the emails went out letting schools know, you know, congratulations, so-and-so from your school is on my all underappreciated team. You know, you sometimes the guys would hear about it. Some guys would, you know, look me up. Uh, I guess that's probably – 2011 is around the time I probably first hit Twitter. Uh, so I began to, you know, make a look – I'm sorry, whatever happened to Steve Martin? You started the show in, like, 2009 with him on the Prospect Radio. Yeah, um, well, Steve Steve has, you know, shifted to doing his, he's got his own home base business. He still does a little bit of radio up in Maine, but he's doing different stuff. He's doing more he political stuff. Is he? Maybe. I, I, you know, I have to look for Um Yeah, I mean, it was, we, we talked last around the holidays. You know, and he emails me occasionally just to see how I'm doing and things like that. But he's interested maybe in coming back a little bit, not so much for radio, but for writing scouting reports. He still likes to write a little and there bit. Was an, there was, like, another guy uh, who sort of sounded like he had that new, like, Jersey accent. Uh, you, guys he might be talking about, you might be talking about, depending on how far back, you either talk about either Bill Shackus or Nick Ticarelli. 
probably your job. From the beginning. Okay, well, could it be? <laughs> like I said, it sounds like you're either talking about Bill Shackles and Nick Ciccarelli, both of whom are are New York guys. Uh, so they, uh, they have that accent. Yes, yes. Well, I, like I said, uh, depending upon. Like Nick They're always asking voices. for measurables from the prospects, like, can you confirm or deny? And then they put them in the book. They're like, well, happy. <laughs> oh, that sounds like Bill Shackus. That, that's <laughs> probably Bill. That's probably Bill Shackus. So, yeah, I mean, I've had a few guys I've worked with over the years. I've been doing this for a while, so, you know. Yeah, I cannot find yeah. when you started co-hosting with Ben Albright. That is not that show. That's a different show. So well, ben, and I, ben and I, right, Ben and I were doing Sealing a Draft together for a while, and we were doing that mostly on blog talk. And when I switched that show, because before I was doing one show on talk show and the other one on blog talk, and when he and I stopped doing that, not long after that, I transitioned over to doing it on, on blog talk, I mean, on uh, talk show. So you'd have to look up Feeling of Draft on Blog Talk, and you'll find the ones that he and I did together. We did it for about a, a little under a year, about probably about nine months, eight months, maybe about eight months probably of shows together. And then Ben started getting, um, oh, you know, you know, he's done having other stuff going on. He started, you know, take off or whatever you want to use. So, you know, he he, he started uh, being more hit and miss, and I started bringing other guys on. So the first time I had. Jim and Donovan on was on the old blog talk show, and then later um, when I moved over to talk show, Jim went from being a guy who was over regular to becoming a, a full-on uh, co-host at that point. And Donovan still is a guy who kind of comes and goes, but you know, is a guy that's on fairly often. It's just very interesting. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> they seem very knowledgeable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm like, that's somebody I would, you know, love to, you know, talk to, you know, get get their opinions in that. Yeah, I mean, Steve is a guy that's coached football overseas. He used to coach Mm -hmm. semi-pro in Russia, of all places. Uh, He studied Russian. That was his, that was what he studied in college. Uh, So he's a guy that that could speak a little bit of Russian, like he's actually coached. Uh, semi-pro football in Russia. So Steve's a very interesting guy. Like I said, he's moved on. He still does some some radio, but it's mostly political. And he's, you know, involved in financials. Something that he's a guy who's got a lot of knowledge of the stock market and things like that. But he's shown some interest now that his kids are pretty much darn near grown. His daughter, I think, is going to maybe her senior or junior at college. His son's about to go away to college. So he might have a little more time and then show in your future and you might start doing scouting. And so I'll definitely try to sort of reel him back in over the next several months as he wraps up, you know, stuff he's got going on with his family. But yeah, uh, Bill Jackis has retired and moved to Arizona. Uh, so he's, he was a member of the 160th or forerunner of the 160th SOAR, uh, Special Operations Airborne Regiment. Uh, he used to fly helicopters in the Army and uh, sustained 
a fairly serious accident in a crash landing and began teaching. And, uh, you know, he's had some physical issues, many of them stemming from his military service time. And like I said, now he's retired. He's out in Arizona, you know, hopefully living and loving life and working on getting his fixed wing licensure to do uh, canyon tours of the canyons up there in Arizona. So that's what, what he's up to now. Are you trying to reel him back in too? Not so much. No, I think Bill's truly done. Um, you know, uh, I think Bill's just, like I said, just sort of retiring, living, and loving life. Um, there's a few guys I might try to sort of, sort of bring back into the soul from the old, 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 old days. But Steve's, like I said, probably one of them. I might try to see if I can get Eric Galco, um, who you'll hear a couple of times if you. He was. He was number. Uh, you He was. A, you had somebody from like Columbia University on, I believe, one of the early episodes. That might be Angela Lama. Um, I'd have to go back and listen to myself now. I've had a few. <laughs> Did you I've ever do that other, often? Yeah, I mean, occasionally. I mean, this is, you know, I usually remember most of the stuff, so I don't have to do it too often. But the guys I've had on with me, <laughs> you know, if you want to go back far enough, I can name all of them. But uh, like I said, Galco's been on a few times. Uh, Angelo Lama. Uh, in fact, we did a draft show right after the draft where Steve and Angelo Lama and I well, were both there. Um, I've had Ralph uh, Garcia was on a few times. Um, that's the guy that has, he has more of like a, his voice is a little bit like uh, Al Pacino when he's playing the <laughs> the blind colonel in um in um the the uh, what was it called the uh, God it was Chris what's his name oh, what was that movie called again um, the Cinnamon right so he has that voice sort of like the the uh, the character that that Pacino played in Cinnamon Woman um but yeah if you go back to some of the old 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 shows uh, you'll hear like some of those guys you'll hear probably uh, in the old days. I think Kyle Nash probably made a couple of appearances. Uh, who else popped up back in the old days? I wonder if Jeff West or Adam Davis. I don't think Jeff or Adam ever did. Um, they just wrote some stuff. Uh so when did Montel ever get into the fold? Montel was fairly recent. Well, probably a little over a year ago. Um, Alex All Brown, you'll hear me. him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex Brown, you'll hear him probably from about... The first time I had Alex on, he was at Texas versus the Nation and sick as a dog. Um, uh, but yes, I had, so Alex probably first popped up about four years ago, a little over four years ago. And he still had his website called The 3-4 back in those days. Uh, You'll hear him several times. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to think who else would probably hear. Was Steve Morton around that time or no? Yeah, well, he's he's popped up a few times more recently. He's also in the last year or so. We 
should get her a whole reunion together some. Uh, I wouldn't listen to that Linval Joseph interview. Probably one of the best ones I've heard uh, since I've been going through them. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think who else. Like, there's going to be a couple of guys who are like one off. Like, you know, came on once, <laughs> twice. Uh, let's see. Mary Mission Galco. I'm trying to think who else popped up once or twice. Ken Beck. Uh, Ken still pops up every now and again. Uh, let's see. Tony DeMeo was on one of the coaches' shows. Ted White was on one of the coaches' shows. Uh, Will Hewlett, who's another quarterback coach, popped up on the quarterback show. Uh, actually, that you won't you won't find that. I mean, that's in a different set of shows. I just remember that was a that was like a special. So if you go I'm into the one where it says, <laughs> well, those only do occasionally. So there's a if you go into the whole long list where it says my talk show or whatever, it'll show all of the different shows I've done and it falls under the what I call season previews and it's a different that's the one where it has the uh calling code is nine two five zero zero for those. And I've done a few of those. Um and like I said, when I do the next quarterback show, it'll be under under that one as well. And I'll have on like maybe Steve Clarkson and a few other people. Um, but yeah, those I don't do very often. Those are a couple times a year I'll do that. I'll do one of those, you know, four of those a year probably is what I'll do. You know, one on quarterbacks, one probably on maybe running backs, wide receivers, and then one on like defensive line and one on linebackers and and DBs or whatever. You know, I'll just a handful of those. So those don't come up very often. I'll do like a I haven't done one of those in a while. Um, but, yeah. But on the, like I said, most of the stuff you'll find out either feeling a draft or uh, the Pro, Pro, Pro Prospects radio show, which the oldest is that one. And if you want to find the ones, like I said, I did with Ben Albright, on TalkShoe, you have to go on TalkShoe and then search for feeling a draft and you'll find those. You mean blog talk? Yeah, so... Um, so Bill, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I uh really I yep. need to end this. That's fine. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Sure. Uh you can either find me at B Carol, capital B, capital C A double R O double L one thirty eight, or at eleven Bravo, that's the word, not the number, at E L E V E N B R A V O one three eight. Either one or the other. And I'll be tweeting out some stuff tonight. All right, Bill. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, hope to have you on again soon. Uh, it was sort of like a full house for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hope, hopefully we get David on uh, feeling a draft soon. <laughs> yeah, I've had David on at least once in the past. And I've been on his show uh, at least once as well. I've never been invited. How dare he? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, um, oh, Jim Sarantias. That's right. When I've had a few, I've had a few fantasy focused shows, and I've had uh, Jim Sarantias. You, you won't want to. You don't. You don't like talking fantasy with me because I always rip you off and try to rip you off and trade. Yeah, well, I don't mind talking fantasy with you. It's just you. You're capable of a criminal. <laughs> Hopefully, we can do another league next year. Sure. Why Hopefully not? I get involved with the picks next year. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt it, though. Right. All right, Phil, it's been okay. a pleasure. Always. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'll let you go. I'll talk to yep. you Friday. I'll try to hop on. Perfect. Well, good. Um, I'll be sending out some emails later tonight, so uh, check your email. You, if you don't get an email, let me know, but you should be getting emails. Check your spam just in case. All right, Bill. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. And, and that will do us do it for us this week. Uh, I'll try to come back possibly on Tuesday. It's been fun. Until next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.